Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Hi, this is Bob, 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 v, 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 Vila. And now, it's time for the show, This Old Dungeon. The show where grognards go to get their grog on. Between the two of us, we're going to get a lot of stuff done. We're going to kick some ass. We're going to be awesome. Featuring your hosts. Hi, this is Bill Barsh. I am the managing director of Paysetter Games and Simulations. Look at this. It's a plumber's nightmare. Hi, this is Edwin. I'm a longtime cast member of Skype of Cthulhu, and I am the 5E editor for Frog God Games. Somebody here call a carpenter? This is Lou Al Lou. I could charitably call myself a game designer and game publisher, but definitely a veteran role player of 35 plus years. We work on it the rest of the night, we get it together. We can do this, right? There's no way in hell we can do it. All right, good evening, listeners, to another episode of This Old Dungeon. Uh, tonight we have a special guest. From down south in the Tex-Mex area, it's Matt Golett. Matt, how are you doing tonight? Fantastic, Lou. Thanks for asking. Oh, man, it's a pleasure to have you on, man. I, uh, you're one of the first people I think I met when I uh, first went down to North Texas and uh, got to play that uh, rocking game of, uh, oh, I don't know, it was, it was kind of Weird Frontiers before Weird Frontiers was a thing, kind of, wasn't it? Uh, I, I, yeah, yeah, because what that was it, Dark Trails? Yeah, back then, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of fun. So I'm Lou Alou. I forgot to, to have my uh, co-hosts introduce themselves. Go ahead, guys. Hello, everybody. This is Edwin. Happy to be here with y'all. Hey guys, it's Bill. Good to hear and see from you again. All right, let's just start how we do. Uh, what you guys been doing in gaming? Bill, you've been doing some gaming? I actually did, believe it or not. Oh, oh, rock on. All right. <laughs> so I got to go to Gary County a couple of weeks, you know, was it only a week ago now? I, I'm all I'm all messed up. So uh, two weeks. Two, two weeks, weeks ago. Yeah. So yeah, I got the game at uh, at Gary County. It was great. I played um actually we played Munchkin one night, which was uh fantastic. It was I haven't played Munchkin in years, so it was kind of a I think one of the newer ones, but uh we had a blast. We just settled down on one of the secondary bars and uh grabbed a bunch of chairs at a table and played munchkin half the night it was uh it was fantastic and then i got to play some uh, uh my son ben barsh is uh running a new module for north texas coming up it's a special module just for that convention awesome. and uh, he was play testing it so i got to i actually got to play roll up an add character to be first edition ad and d uh and got got i played thief i got killed really quickly so i got to <laughs> be the thief the second Fred the second and, uh, <laughs> jump right back in. And uh, have you seen my twin brother? <laughs> yeah. So he was in the uh, shadows yeah, hiding <laughs> behind us. That's why you didn't see him before. Yeah. I'd behind the pile of dead thieves. <laughs> <laughs> Gamers. I didn't even get to die doing geeky stuff. I just, you know, it's just one of those things. So, um, but uh, so I did get to do some gaming and uh, that was a lot of fun. And, you know, obviously the whole Gary Khan experience, you know, going to an old school, we can talk about it. A little bit about that more later but uh uh it was great 
All right. Cool. So, uh, I have been uh, so in my home game. We uh, we played last night. We got together, and they have uh, they have chosen the low road. They had to get from uh, from here into the well. It's eventually going to be caves of chaos. I think they they're trying to go find some some hobgoblin that has some magic item that they want. And uh, I'd offered them, you know, I was like, well, they can sort of cross over, but they they found this cave and. Oh, then they found the tunnel that goes down and they think that they can just traverse for the next couple of days underground uh, <laughs> through the mountains. And that's been a heap of fun because most of this game has been, uh, you know, sort of real short little adventures and a lot of uh, interaction with people and stuff. And now they're just I mean, it's dungeon crawl for the next couple of weeks. And nice. that's kind of fun. Um, and then I also got to run. I'm in the middle of running a thing I wrote for lesser known first sentinel i guess it's been it's been a while oh, since i pulled that one out and uh with uh, a couple of players so i get to see how that's running with just two two players but they each have two characters so and they the first thing they did was split the party it was awesome <laughs> like, well, we're gonna send two people this way with so and so and then the other two are gonna go back to town <laughs> all right let's do it <laughs> now uh do you still have your hellgate game going on uh, Stonehill or Stonehill, yeah, Stonehill. Uh, absolutely, yeah. So Stonehill, uh, yeah. So that's been six months, and uh, I just, I think my thief just hit level four, and my paladin is level three. Um, but yeah, no, that game has been a hoot. Still, we're we're still monkeying around. Uh, we've like put our toes on the third level, um, <laughs> but we still have so much to do in the first and second level. Yeah. Good. What about you two? Matt, you've been up to some gaming? Um, yeah. Uh, every Thursday, uh, we alternate. I run a game, or I, I'm in a game right now. I'm getting to play for once, which is nice. Ooh, nice. Uh, buddy of mine's running. It's a campaign I started. It's from ideas I had. He really liked it. So he's running it in Savage Worlds. It's post APOC, which is you know my jam. And uh, having a ton of fun with that. We've got a really great table of guys. And uh, uh, just we're you know laughing and cutting up and hooting and hollering, and then on the alternating Thursdays we have a game club here in Longview, and I'm running uh, there's something that DCC came out with called Legacy League, and it's kind of like their version of uh, Adventures League, and hmm. so I'm running a Legacy uh, League game of DCC, and uh, I'm having a lot of fun with that. The players are having a lot of fun, and I've been strictly almost improving the whole time, which I haven't done in years. And That's awesome. I've had a lot of fun with the improv. So it, that's what I've been doing on my home game. And it's, it's been a hoot. <laughs> yeah. Did you get some nice surprises when you turned over your campaign to your buddy? I assume you'd like, there were some things that you must've had sort of in motion and in the back of your head. And then of course they're going to move in some completely different direction or. Yeah. Well, so I don't want to, cause hopefully maybe they'll listen to this podcast, but so I want to give away the big secrets, but originally in the, in the original campaign, there's an AI and it's got certain machinations. I think they know that much. And if they don't, wow, you guys are dense, but you just got some clear. <laughs> but anyway, but uh, but but so my friends moved completely away from that. Um, because basically it's funny, I'm from Louisiana and that's where he's at, and I live in here in East Texas. And so I based the, the campaign in East Texas, but every so often they'd cross over back to Louisiana and get into trouble in Shreveport, which we call Ratchet City. And so now he's running everything. I said, Louisiana is yours. 
So he went crazy and he's developed all these small towns. And I love how he gamma welded up the names, you know? So I'm like <laughs> smiling because I know the town he's talking about. He's kind of changed the names. Hostin becomes Hostown and he's developed some really fun characters. I can tell he's into it. He's usually not the guy to do the voices and he's doing the voices and he's oh, nice. to create the, the, he's striking while the metal's hot and we're loving it, man. That's sweet. That's, That's a great fun. question. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Good deal. Lou? Uh, I'm sad to report that I haven't been able to game since we last uh, got together for a podcast. <laughs> we had uh, the, the Sunday night game went on hiatus for a little while. We had different things conflicting with our schedules. Uh, and then uh, just been uh, really working hard, getting some mapping done for this Kickstarter campaign I'm doing right now, uh, trying to get that all ready to go. So when it's done, I can get it to the printer. So, yeah, nice. no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm playing the part of Bill tonight. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> oh man i think that kickstarter is doing really well lou you make sure you, we uh we pimp it out here guys oh, yeah. a good topic tonight for that and, sure yeah uh, great i'm excited to get it so yeah no I, it's uh you know it's it's done really well uh, we got I, I did a 30 day kickstarter which i mean there's people that say that's terrible there's people say oh, that's no. a sweet spot i don't know best but 30 days the best spot to do period don't don't listen to them you're right <laughs> So yeah, it's uh, the uh, the Time Lost Citadel, which is a somewhat of a sequel to my other one, The Seekers of the mm -hmm. Unknown. Uh, it's kind of a sword and planet adventure, and yeah, it it already got to about where the other one did, and it's only halfway through. So so I'm hopeful to to maybe see a little growth in that area and be able to feel like you know each successive uh, Kickstarter maybe I can do a little better than the last. So uh, you yeah, you're I can tell you're absolutely on track. I mean, back the last one and, and this one and. And you're definitely moving. This one's moving in the right direction. And that's all every Kickstarter. It's all you want to do is, is, you know, people get caught up in the dollars of Kickstarters, which isn't hard to do when you see crazy ones like that. You know, the OSE one that just you know, <laughs> that. So it, it's, yeah, it, it, you know, you cut that, but it's, it's honestly Kickstarter is all about your backers and building your brand and keep building those number of backers up each Kickstarter. And we don't want, you know, I don't look at them as backers, you know, as, as purely a number and I know you don't either. You look at them as these are people investing in your product. You want to put out the best product you can. And you keep doing that and you're going to get more and more backers every time. So that's what it's all about. For sure. And yeah. that, it, it's really this project's doing that. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. exciting to see the, the return backers, to see that, oh, you know, this person oh, yeah. that bought my first one also wants the next one. So they must really that's like the, the first one. <laughs> so there's there's a great tool for that, too. I don't know if you use backer kit. I can't remember if you used it on your first one or not. I, I did not. I, I've had a lot of people tell me that I need to, you know, subscribe it's a, it's to a, that. And, it's a fabulous tool. Yeah. We, we, we use it. I, we swear by it. Um, and uh, it, the great thing about backer kit, it gives you, um, I know you could probably do it through Kickstarter, but back is just so much easier. You can pull up all your Kickstarters and see who backed each and every one. It'll tell you how many will repeat for each one. It'll separate them. It does. It's there's so many analytics involved with it. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's really a great tool um, to see that. But it's it's a. Uh, I mean, it's a credit to you, to your last project that this one's doing as well as it is and better because people clearly see the value in it. Thanks. You know, the first one was great, Lou. You really knocked it out of the park, man. Yep. Thank you. Now, uh, our, our focus tonight, though, is, is trying to talk about some of the things that you're involved in there, Matt. So let's uh, let's get you up on the uh, on the stage here at the uh, Tonight Show, and let's start asking you some questions. How about? Don't, don't let them kid you up, Matt. <laughs> focus in this show, or don't usually go together so well. 
right. So, uh, you know, every time we have someone on, and I think it's all of us gamers love to both tell our story and hear other stories. How'd you get into gaming, man? Well, I started playing and uh, shortly thereafter running games in 1981. Uh, it was AD&D with my longtime friend Gary Hopkins, who's, who's running uh, that Savage Worlds post-APOC game. Just so happens. Awesome. Um, so, so awesome. <laughs> so I've been playing for just a few years, you know. Uh, so what is that, 41 years? Um, I remember buying my, my books at the TGNY next to the Piggly Wiggly as a 12-year-old <laughs> with money iron doing yard work and uh well the hook was set you know so which uh which books yeah tell us the oh, details oh, the, the ad and d books you know i remember that uh that dungeon master staring at me at tg and wine i was like you know <laughs> kid from the country and i'm going that looks kind of satanic but who i want it you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah and of course you know i lost my soul right there but anyway <laughs> Um, <laughs> didn't we all <laughs> but, yeah. but no I, I mean that player's handbook that artwork is so evocative I mean but anyway yeah so and I, so I started running AD&D out in the country and I didn't have a lot of takers at first but I remember one really hot hot just boiling summer when we're stuck indoors under the AC and I was like hey I'm gonna play some D&D &D. and it's like there are a lot of uh, snuff uh, uh, cups on that table <laughs> but yeah no man we uh I remember that I had summer we had everybody people go looking hey where's everybody at oh they're over at Alvin's house my friend and playing that Dungeons and Devils you know <laughs> <laughs> excellent man kudos to you I, I grew up in the country also and it was man uh, there's so many years of just desperately hoping I could find one person just one person that was so sort of interested you know mm -hmm. like like every every time I had a friend over you know a, whatever a group of friends to spend the night or whatever i'd always pull out the books and be like hey guys you want to play this and they're like oh man uh, don't you have like an atari or something <laughs> no no oh yeah let's even now when i tell them i run help run a gaming convention they go like it's like gambling or is that <laughs> video games i'm like no tabletop gaming you know and board games I'm, never mind you know <laughs> Jeez. so uh you know, we, we had Eddie on, obviously, and uh, he, he told his side of the story. But, you know, when, when you have a couple, you always got to ask each one how they met and see how it uh, pans out. So so what's your side of the story? How did you and Eddie meet up? Well, I lost a bet. And so we had to start <laughs> hanging out together. You know? um, but uh, no, um, pretty much I listened to y'all's podcast and uh, uh, Eddie's version is it's pretty spot on. I think he had just posted a meetup link. And on a goof, I was at work and had an idle moment, and I Googled uh, Shreveport Bossier role-playing games, and his meetup popped up. I'd never even heard of meetup. And uh, I showed up, and here we are 10 years later. You know, we, uh, we're pals and run a con together and all that junk, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So the, the, the uh, long con, yes, I noticed uh, you're, you're getting ready to open up uh, ticket sales for that pretty soon. I think, uh, is it June or? Uh, it just this month, April 26th, we're going to open up ticket sales. Oh, April. Okay. All yeah. Right. For that, that little old con from Texas. Um, <laughs> this is going to be our sixth year, our seventh long con overall. And the ninth con that we've done as a team, uh, it is the preeminent RPG con <laughs> in East Texas. And also the only one, um, <laughs> this year's dates are November 11th to the 13th. Uh, I'd encourage you to check us out on tabletop events or on the web at long con 
rpg.com. Uh, we love NTRPG Con, and after attending for some years, we want to do a con of our own so that we could hang out with people like, you know, Bill, you, you know, Edwin, that we get to see once a year, and we like, man, I'd love to hang out with those guys some more, you know, so we started mm -hmm. running a con in the hope that maybe if we twist Bill's heart, arm hard enough, he'll come see us, you know, <laughs> over in Longview, so, you know. You know, I gotta say that uh, as, as somebody who has been attending uh, North Texas in June and our own local con here in Maine in January. Uh, the idea of doing a con in Texas in November seems kind of smarter than either of those two. <laughs> That's like Gary Con. I wanted to go for years, but I was like, if it's one single digit, I'm going to be pissed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's and then we've had that. So yeah, I've heard we've had that up there. I had my yeah. fingers crossed when I went this year, you know, I was like, please don't be single digit weather. <laughs> uh, so what, what are your guys' uh, I, I, maybe you don't even have them, but um, what are your growth goals? Like, I, I know you guys are, you know, want it to be bigger and better this year. It's uh, you know, it's, it's, it's gained every year as far as I understand. Right. It, it uh, really has. Um, and we've, we've been blessed. I mean, we're the very first one we ran, uh, which like I said, what, seven years ago, was a single day event in Longview. We had, neither of us had been living here th that long and we had ran a few games at local game stores to sort of meet gamers. Mm -hmm. um, and we figured we'd have 20, 30 people, the majority ones we'd already ran games with uh, at the game stores. And we end up having 70 people show up to that very first one. That's nice, man. That's yeah, a good turnout. We were just so humbled and, and uh, proud and astonished and, and, and elated. And, um, and so, yeah, we've grown ever since. 2019 was a really great year. Um, and then, you know, I don't know what happened. But no, um, <laughs> this, this last year uh, it did a, a little better. And I, I think we're back on track to keep growing. Um, we've got a lot of, it's really, it's, it's funny though. I know there are gamers in the greater Longview area and Tyler, we really don't get many of them. We get some and we, we they know who they are and we, we love them. But we get like people from Houston, Austin, Dallas, Shreveport, Bossier. We had some people from Iowa year before last. So it's it's neat that people are coming out and traveling some distance to come to our con, and we're just so you know flattered by that, you know. And but we you asked about our, we want to get to two hundred, and I think Eddie and I agreed some years ago that we're a two man operation. We kind of want to keep it that way, and that's a lot of work for two guys. So we want to cap it at two fifty. That's going to be our so it's kind of like NTRPG. One reason I like about it, I've been to bigger cons, but I'm, I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings. I've never been to a better con. And I think part of what it draws me to it is it's, it's capped at 500. And so it's a little more intimate. Like I know most everybody there after going there for, what is it now? I, I missed the first two. So what did that mean? 13, Bill? There's uh this is going to be 14 this year, I believe, so right? Yes, yeah, so I think something like, anyway, so I've been coming for all but I missed the first two, unfortunately. But anyway, yeah. But I mean, I know a lot of the people there. I mean, I, even if I don't know their name, I'm like, oh, I know that guy I game with them last year. I wanted to punch mm -hmm. him in the face. But I mean, I know him. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, but anyway, yeah. So it's great con. I mean, but we want to keep kind of small and intimate as well, you know. So, awesome. yeah. And that's, you know, I'm with you there that uh, been to a lot of different cons. Uh, a lot of the ones in my neck of the woods tend to be bigger ones, you know, like Gen Con, Origins. And going to North Texas, I mean, and seeing what it can be if you, you have that more intimate space and, um, and, and the focus is more on role playing and not on sales and not on, you know, the pageantry of everything. 
Yeah. It's, it's a whole nother feel. It's great. I'm not going to knock on any of that, but that's like me and Eddie, we've talked about, we're not really encouraging cosplay or LARPing or, and we tried board games one year and the local, and we know there's local board gamers. They, they didn't show up. So we're, that was one of the, the, like the spring con or whatever. So we were like, you know, the people have spoken, we're going to stick with RPGs, you know? So. Yeah, this is, I just looked to make sure this is NT is the 14th year for NTX, right? The pace that our shares a birthday with them. Our first year was the same year they started their convention. I mean, we technically started a few months, about eight months before that, but um, we kind of share that that birthday with them. That's why we're, uh, I'm a huge NTX fan, again, for everything that you're saying, Matt, and that's why I want to make it to LongCon this year. Just that, 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 that small convention feel, the camaraderie that you have there with people. Uh, it's uh, the word I like to use, which isn't a great word. They're just intimate conventions where um, you can just hang out with people any time of the day or night. And uh, it's not as structured. Um, I mean, they're well-structured. I don't, I don't want to say they're not structured, but they don't feel structured. They just feel like you're going to game with your buddies. And uh, in a setting that is uh, uh, lets you enjoy the convention feel and experience, obviously there's still vendors there and that kind of thing. But uh, that's why I'm, I really am excited to get to LongCon this year. And uh, I'm shooting to make it for sure. So I'd love to have you, Bill. So oh, I, I, I just need to make sure my schedule is clear, but it looks like I'm, I'm going to make it this year. So for sure. Good deal. Yeah, and Lou, these Edwin, days. you know, you guys are more than welcome too. y'all could hang out, you sneak into his duffel bag or whatever, you know? <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, it would definitely be fun to get down there. Um, if you like barbecue, he's a good I crew. up with some dang good barbecue. <laughs> Yeah. The, the, the timing is here should work. Into, I, I'm sorry, Matt, what are your dates again? Just so November we 11th, 12th, and 13th. Okay. And you guys are going to get up on, on uh, you're going to be on uh, tabletop, tabletop, right? Tabletop events. And we also, like I said, for anybody else, the, the, you can like in a Google box, put in um, uh, no a long con RPG and hit go. And it'll usually pick up our web page we have as well. But if not, we're on uh, uh, tabletop events. Absolutely. It worked right. for me and it took me right to your Facebook page. So yeah, it'll take, it takes and we have a Facebook page too, but yeah, I don't think, I don't think Eddie's got you on tabletop. I just looked, I didn't see you guys. Come no, not up yet. That. Not yet. Uh, he's, I don't, yeah. You know, I'm not going to go there. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's doing it and you're not. But uh, all right, no, we got those dates, which is great. So that no one can com can complain uh, conflict with uh, Game Hole uh, because Game Hole is going to be in October this year again. Yeah, I'm so, thinking about you know, that. In the past, we've conflicted with Game Hole, but we've always been like, if you're going to Game Hole, you're going to Game Hole kind of probably. Because mm -hmm. even because we're close to each other, I think some of the people, they'd be like, I'd love to go to t both, but if not, eh, they're probably going to go to Game Hole. And I mean, so be it, you know. We'll it's, it's just, yeah, it's a tough call. You know, you got the, the Midwesterners that time of year, you know, Game Hole is uh, it's convenient for us to go yeah. there. And then if it's super tight, you know, it, it, it's the same with anything else. Everyone's time is important. Sure. But uh, I think you got a good enough spread here because I'm pretty sure Game Hole is October 20th, 23rd. It's in there somewhere. Right. What I they, they've moved it. They used to be in that early November time frame forever, yeah, but now they're, they're not. We're, we're typically yeah, they, moved away from us there. Yeah, there's a, <laughs> I think yeah, there's a couple of reasons. One, they, they basically took the entire convention hall at this uh, Allegiant Center now. They, they take the whole thing. And I think for them to do that, they had to move their dates a little bit. But for me personally, I love the fact that they're in the middle of October. So we're middle, late October is a great time. And 
like I said, I think uh, that'd be the only convention I think you're you're in conflict with. I mean, obviously, there's other conventions, but as far as kind of that old school, Same which Game Hole's not a pure old school convention by any stretch, but um, it has old school elements. So we got up and running, and then there was another con that popped up in Arkansas. And again, I loved I love cons, and I was tickled to see that another con had popped up, and you know, it's great. But then they picked like our same time. And I yeah. was like, mm, you know, but luckily I think they saw the wisdom of moving to a different date. It's yeah. like, we picked this first, you know. Did that happen to be the one that Carl runs? Carl ding, 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 ding. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Which again, Carl's a great guy, you know, but I was like, why did they pick that time? But anyway, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> so speaking of all the things you got in motion here, you and Eddie, uh, you guys are about to flip your podcast into a stream, right? Yeah, so I mean, already we've got you know the long uh, the hello the uh, the no class RPG podcast that we've been doing for three years now, and so uh, Eddie was uh, talking with uh, Joe Goodman. It turns out um, about different things. You know, when he was sort of pitching uh, uh, Carnage in the Casino, his published adventure that his Kickstarter went well, and and I'm hoping to have the same sort of success um he's talking with joe uh, goodman and he had mentioned well you know we have a twitch channel and and then eddie was like well we do a podcast we had brendan on there and i think if I, I might be getting the story wrong so i use eddie here to go you got it completely wrong but <laughs> um uh, uh but uh, i think like goodman listened or he had somebody else listen for him i don't know and they liked what they heard and so uh they asked us to join their twitch channel and so <laughs> we've been We've been trying to get this thing up and running. And every time we've like, how about this date? No, it's no good. How about that date? No, it's no good. So if I'm like, how about you give me some dates, you know? <laughs> and uh, we, we, cause I've had to burn favors at work to be like day off. And then now that day's no good. I'm like, oh. I'm going to kill you. But anyway, <laughs> no, we're carved in stone, April 26. Please fire up your Twitch, get to twitching on April 26. We're going to be the no class something something you know <laughs> and uh Thanks. eddie put it on me to to come up with the name it just has to have no class so i'm like no class twitch cast i don't know it rolls off the tongue but it sounds weird too i don't know <laughs> but anyway yeah so april 26 is when we're going to be on um yeah on the goodman, goodman games, games twitch thank you for reminding me yeah and what uh what time are you guys running Oh yeah. Uh, it's going to be eight. I had all this stuff in my notes. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be 8 PM Eastern time, 7 PM central time, April 26. That's, that's like prime time, man. It's yeah. Big yeah. Spot. It, but I, I'll, I'll tell the story first of all, like, how about we do it on Thursdays? And they're like, well, you'll be up against, um, critical role or critical whatever. Role. And, and Eddie and me were like, ah, bring it. You know? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, sit down, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway yeah oh man and then on top of that you've got a, a an adventure you're working on as well right yep yep and so uh eddie did carnage and he he's sly he didn't tell me so basically about the time it, he was kicking it was when he let me know and i was like you devious so-and-so <laughs> and which is typical and um and so he said all right man it's your turn you know step up to the plate come on and so there's an adventure I, when i got into dcc in like 2015 i was at ntrpg and i got to play with wampler which actually was mcc but i immediately fell in love with aspects of the rules and uh went immediately over to black blade with uh, our old buddy hershberger and bought 
you know, the, the DCC book and the dice and a couple of modules and a screen. And, uh, and I started, you know, uh, road crewing it and running it. And, you know, I started a home campaign. People will tell you, oh, DCC is only good for one-offs, but I ran a campaign for about a year. But it's kind of like, I don't know what y'all's opinion is. I'd be curious to ask y'all. If you want to learn a new game, what's a good way as a player to kind of learn the game? Make a character? Yeah, make a character. Maybe. Yeah, okay. sit in on somebody else's game. Yeah. yeah. And, and so anyway, for me to kind of learn the game, I wanted to write an adventure. So I, I wrote an adventure and um, ran it with my uh, home group and they had a lot of fun with it. And I started running that in my road crew games and at cons and I've been running it off and on for years. And each time I've kind of asked for input and made notes or in play something fun or interesting would happen, I'd make a note in the border. And so this is um, the, the fruits of that effort. Eddie was like, man, you should do caverns uh, because you know, that one we think would, would might do well. Um, It's already kind of at the height of its evolution too, from the sounds of it. Yeah, I hope so. Um, I'll say it's got kind of a cool aha moment in it uh, that has to do with the dungeon and just something interesting when I was writing it. And I will say I was listening to y'all's podcast when y'all were talking about um, like dungeon design, I think. And Mm -hmm. as y'all were talking, I was mentally checking off boxes and it just so it seems like this hits a lot of the right beats, you know, cool. Um, I didn't reinvent the wheel, but uh, I, I think it's worthy. And uh, Levi Combs played it at NTRPG that year when you were there playing in my MCC. Oh, uh, was that the yeah. one that you gave out awards for, the, the Hawk Award or whatever? I mean, I don't, I don't know that I gave out awards. This was okay. just a, I was just, it just running caverns yet again. You know, that was okay. during the, the, the COVID con year. Um, but, oh, okay, uh, okay. Yeah, but Levi played it and he, he encouraged me to publish it. So there's that too. That's yeah, so anyway. a sign, man. I don't know. We'll, we'll, <laughs> I know probably it's, it's funny. We, we, I had a, at Red River, we had a number of people talking, Ben Burns, uh, New Big Dragon, uh, LeBlanc, and we had Jonathan Thompson. And I wanted them to do a, what do you call it? Like when you have people sitting there and you ask them questions, you know, AMA, whatever. And so I, I was, I asked, Hey man, uh, what, what would you tell somebody who was thinking about publishing their adventure? And in unison, they said, don't. <laughs> 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 but anyway Ouch. you know uh, That's a little but, I, rough. but i'm a knucklehead so i'm gonna do what i want you know good i think that's why all of us are here you know? yeah <laughs> so you guys are all published you know yeah well that's man I, I can't believe they would say don't i mean i i you know i think they were doing it playfully but yeah you know. yeah maybe maybe like you know don't right away you know if you think you got it ready you're probably about a month away from having it ready kind of thing at least yeah but uh that's all so speaking of timelines so so where is it in that progress uh, do you have a date in mind that you want to kickstart um i really would like to have it hopefully kicked before ntrpg as i'd be like nice. to but it's one of those things to where um it's just a, a lot of, i mean i and I look how uh, it's, it's my own fault i'm crazy busy like i said i'm running a game and i'm playing in a game I work full-time and I work crazy hours. Um, and then me and Eddie do a podcast. Now we're going to do a Twitch and <laughs> we run a con, you know? And so it's like, get a few yeah, things. It's yeah. So I'm, I've just promised myself. I was like, I'm going to make some, like I got a block of time off later in the month and I'm just going to put my nose to the grindstone. And I, I guess part of it is like hearing stories like, Oh, you know, Eddie's told me horror stories about the Kickstarter that I don't know if I should repeat. Those are his stories to tell, but it's just, I could tell the aspects that were aggravating and, 
and I know nothing about formatting. So I'm going to be leaning on Eddie pretty hard in that regard. But, and, you know, if you guys don't mind, I might uh, Facebook message you guys like, hey, you know, about some questions. It, it may yes. be the blind leading the blind, but, man, I, I give anyone any advice I can from anything that I've learned because that's how it's come down to me from people like Bill and, and Levi and Ben Burns and all, a whole bunch of other people. Yeah. So. Which Levi, he's just, just such a nice guy. He'd already told me, Hey, reach out. You know, I'd be glad to give you some tips. So yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I'm sure you can, you can talk to me and I can talk to the rest of the frogs and they can actually tell you something useful. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> Again, a great bunch of guys. The, the frogs are great. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. As you get, as you get closer, Matt, just, you know, reach out and we'll, we'll, we'll talk. Thanks, man. And to kind of circle the wagons all the way back around, I mean, that, that's kind of th this thing right here of everybody being like, yeah, man, we'll help you, we'll, you know, give you some advice, talk with you. We want you to succeed. That's at the heart of those those small conventions. And that's, I think, another Definitely, element yeah. of why I love them so much. Right on. Yeah, for sure. So, guys, I, I don't know if you all had any questions that I didn't already ask. I'm sorry. I always hog the, the mic when it comes time for interviewing our guests. So. That's right. I was looking for flights for long con. So <laughs> we, we count on you, Lou, to be the professional. So I'm glad that you, uh, <laughs> you know, you're so, prepared. You got questions. So, Matt, let's talk some nuts and bolts. Like what level, you know, level range and how many oh, players so, you think um, should be in it and that kind of thing. It's Outdoor, a, indoor, the dungeon crawl, wilderness crawl, that kind of thing. So, I mean, it, it, this is kind of like a classic, like with the old chestnut kind of thing. It's a, uh, uh, it's it's in a it's in it's caverns of the dead god so it's underground um and but it's again because it's kind of like an old world uh, old gaming throwback like it starts okay so like at a con you want to do it in four straight hours just get them in the get them in the caverns mm -hmm. right but if it's like for a home game um i have uh warrenburg is this uh seaside city and i uh detail like a few np i, I have a, a page and a half with like kind of bullet points with some stats maybe for a number of NPCs and names and a little bit about their personalities, their appearance. Um, and then uh, uh, at the, um, at the, the, the tavern there in the town that's on the docks, I detail the, the barkeep. He's got kind of some flavor. And then I've got some like old school. It's I've got some rumors in there. The rumors. That players can hear. Nice. Got well, rumors, man. That's, that's old school. So you got some rumors you can hear and there's some, some of them are red herring. Some are, you know, correct. Some are half, right um and uh and then like like you know and there's like a a, a a notorious pirate that's due to be hung in the town or whatever and there's like a hedge wizard that's been framed uh for the the thing that happened or whatever is kind of the crux of the the adventure and so people in the past have went and found him and talked with him so i kind of detail him a little bit and if the player is on it huh great great this all sounds good to me yeah, yeah. Anyway, and but so, but then you go through the countryside, and then there's the the dungeon, which is the caverns itself. But like, like I said, I don't want to give anything away. But there's kind of an aha kind of moment in the dungeon, yeah. usually about halfway, three fourths through, and uh, so it's just a little side element, you know. There's riddles, nice. secret doors, traps, you know. We've been uh, talking a lot about in our we have in our little. Uh, content committee on frog guide we've been talking a lot about the sort of balance between the the adventure proper and kind of the lead up to the adventure and you know how much and i think today's uh, actually adventure is a good one to talk about that on when we get to it uh but sort of how much 
how much pre-dungeon or pre-whatever, you know, how much do you want the town? How much does the town matter? Can you make the town? You know, does it matter that it's that town uh, that comes before this adventure or could it have been any town? And like, just sort of how does that all hook together and where do you put the, where do you put your writing time and your, your energy and stuff? And it's, it's a lot of fun to think about because it, obviously there's all the models. Like we, we have an adventure, which is basically here's a dungeon, figure out where it is. And then we have, you know, village of Hamlet, which is like, well, here's, here's a village and oh yeah, there's a dungeon over there. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's kind of cool though. It sounds like you have a nice, uh, a nice balance though. Cause one of the things I really love is when you have an adventure where you can pull out relatively easily, you can pull out the con game or you can sort of let it breathe and have eight, 12, 16 hours of adventure for not that many more pages of, of content. And that to me really is, is nice. Yeah. For my yeah. original uh, home campaign or whatever, my players played it in four sessions that we got out of that. Oh, wow. And so, because they did the stuff in the town and they, you know, went down some rabbit trails or whatever. And I didn't, you know, grab them by the nose. Cause I'm like, ah, it's a home game. But in the con, I've been able to run it again in those four hour slots mm -hmm. and do, I've had players beat it in three hours one time. So, I mean, that sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. So what what level are we talking about here? First level. First level. <laughs> so I did give it to some guys after I ran it a con. One guy really liked it. And I said, here, you want the copy? If you would run it for your home group and let me know what you think. And he said, Man, when the aha moment hit, the table went wild, you know, and I was like, <laughs> awesome. And then for two is uh I got some good feedback from him. Um, but one thing he said, man, this thing is brutal for a first level adventure. And I don't know, I've always run it as a first level adventure at cons and game stores. And the players have had, you know, not like an easy, they've been challenged, but I don't, but yeah, I'm, interesting thought was that guy was like, man, this felt like you should be second. But anyway, DCC um, is particularly hard to pin a level on an adventure. Yeah. Because it's I was so going to ask, I'm, I'm, I'm not super familiar with DCC. I am a little bit. A funny story is I actually got to play test uh, DCC with Joe at Gary Khan. I don't remember what number, what had to be like number four or five. It was, long, I mean, obviously a long time ago now. I just kind of stumbled into it. And uh, he was at a table and he had like three guys sitting there. And he's just, anyone who's walking by, he's like, hey, I'm play testing this game. You want to play? And I'm like, I have no idea who you are, but sure, I'm jumping in. <laughs> You're a nobody. And, uh, yeah, I, I didn't know who I was. I mean, honestly, so it was, uh, it was, it was great. I had so much fun. You know, he's like, well, okay, everyone needs to roll up like three characters. I'm like, what? There's a whole, there's like six of us now sitting at this table. He's like, no, 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 it's part of the thing. And um, oh my god, and it was, just, it was the same thing that everyone jokes about, right? I mean, I, I know my first character was a farmer, and I had a chicken. I mean, I remember that it was the first guy rolled up. The next guy was a baker with, a, I think, a rolling pin. I mean, it was it was crazy. And uh, I think we lost half the party just trying to get through the front door of the dungeon. It was so much fun. Yeah. But, uh, so I but think no, it's true. It is, a, it is a swingy enough game that it's hard to yes. nail down. Yeah. Like a first level character who rolls hot. You know, can just destroy yeah. stuff. Well, in, in the burning the luck thing too. I mean, that's true. That yeah. makes it, you know. Yeah, that's that's their yeah. that's their cure for this that swing, the crazy yeah. gate swing, either way. But um, yeah, it is. Uh, I think the best the best word for it, uh, Edwin, is a swinging game. But I enjoy the hell out of it. I oh yeah, it's, it's not. I'm not saying swinging in a pejorative sense. Just mm -mm. no, no, no. You know, you're not. Nature, I don't think anyone. You know? Yeah, I don't think anyone takes it that way. I think it, it's it's designed to be that way, right? It's a Gonzo yeah. game. 
term yeah. they use. Gonzo they, for they, sure. They, they self-describe <laughs> themselves as a Gonzo. And, and that reminds yeah. me, one of the things when I was writing this, I, I thought about when I was a kid, because something about DCC recaptured oh, that yeah. nostalgia from when I was a kid for me. Don't get me wrong. I love yeah. other games and stuff too. DCC just scratches a certain itch, but don't get me wrong. Fifth edition scratches an itch, uh, old school D&D, you know, Osric, whatever. But um, when I was writing this adventure, I thought, I remember as a kid, a, a good evocative game master talking about like the lich or the vampire and as a kid you'd be like oh man creeped out or giant spiders dropped down from the roof i wanted this to have a little bit of a i don't, like, I don't want to do gore i'm not i'm not that guy yeah but i wanted there to be a little bit of a, a tingle up tension. the spine kind of a little thing. creepy a little so, tension sure yeah i did some research on things that people are scared of <laughs> and i put some of that stuff in there and it's things that i was, was like personally i don't have a problem with that i thought that's crazy and then I remember the halfling opening the door, looking in the room and going, nope. And he just closed the door and backed up there. What did you see? And he said, a whole lot of nope. <laughs> so I mean, It's the room with the, uh, with the spiders with clown heads on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, and that's, I, I think, uh, I mean, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm excited about this. I buy a lot of, I don't play DCC, but I do buy a lot of their products because uh, I just, I love reading it. And uh, it, uh, it's not necessarily my jam um, totally, but I really do enjoy reading DCC stuff um, just because it is, it is just different and wacky enough, um, but still keeps that, um, I think that, well, they, you know, that old school D&D kind of vibe to it, mm -hmm. but just a little bit, cra a little crazier when we didn't know what the hell we were doing back in 1981, like you were talking about, right? Yeah, so right. Um, there's a lot of that. I mean, we, we've only published one DCC adventure at Paysetter, and it was probably seven or eight years ago now that we wow. did that. And I remember putting that together and just having to get out of my own shell to put it together because it is different to just think, okay, I gotta, I gotta let loose with this, you know, this chart's way too tight. I gotta let loose. There's gotta be a little more craziness on these charts and stuff like that to capture the DCC feel is that was a second slash third level dungeon roughly. So again, it was a, a little bit different. It wasn't a character funnel. And uh, I just, it's a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm super excited to see what you've got going on here. The, zero, the, the first level character funnels to me are, are brilliant. I love reading them. Just super exciting. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, the, the, the one bit of advice I'll give you just because it's something I'm suffering through right now is uh, you got to kind of know what format you're going to end up publishing the book in, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's going to be saddle stitch or perfect bound or whatever, mm -hmm. because uh, in, in a lot of that lead up into the adventure, you can kind of get lost putting all these great little encounters on the way. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden your page counts, you know, too heavy to do saddle stitch and, you know, you're forced into perfect bound or whatever. Mm -hmm. So uh you know, just, just a little forward advice there. If, if you want saddle stitch, you know, find out what your range is going to be and then, you know, screw down your, your uh, limits on your yeah. writing for that. But, Thanks for the tip, man. That's the kind of stuff. Cause I'm, that's just like, you know, so yeah. But yeah, that's, that really sounds awesome. Caverns of the dead God. Is that the, the title? Caverns of the dead God from awesome. uh, long con press, hopefully coming soon. <laughs> nice. Awesome. We love it. Yep. Yeah, definitely let us know when, I mean, I guess these guys are, these guys actually follow news better than I do, but make sure we know when, when we're, uh, when we should talk about it again, because we will. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And the, uh, 
one of the things I was realizing as we were talking that I, I didn't ask you that I normally ask people when they come on is, is what's your favorite game? You know, what, what, out of all the RPGs, what is it that you're, this is the go-to end all yeah. be all. So um, that's one of those things. It's like when we talk about how long I've been gaming, <laughs> you know, I mean, I've, I've played a lot of uh, stuff in the years, um, but like, um, you know, through the years it's varied, but right now I jump between DCC and its derivatives, Savage Worlds and the Black Hack and its clones like Mike Evans, Barbarians of the Ruined Earth. And that's one that I, um, I discovered that first and I got Eddie playing it and oh my gosh, he is just gaga about Barbarians <laughs> of the Ruined Earth. And it's really funny because um, around these parts, Eddie's kind of notorious as like the hanging judge. I mean, he, he, he'll just TPK, you know, and uh, but he's a good man. Him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I knew y'all, that's where y'all get along. Um, but uh, no, um, but Barbarians, him running that, it's like Gonzo Another oh, we just had there we go uh, uh, start back again there was a glitch there yeah, you glitched up audio. yeah but start back to uh him running it was the yeah, last we, thing i heard yeah eddie eddie runs you know uh, barbarians of ruined earth over the top uh, mm -hmm. saturday morning cartoons thunder the barbarian basically if you say i want to jump and kick the one guy in the face and do a flip kick onto the flying saucer and then you know do a pile drive on this other guy all right give me a a strength test, you know, with disadvantage. <laughs> just, just roll your die and we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, now, uh, is that a player-facing mechanic? I know that the black hack is. For um, DCC? or Oh, I don't know. This is for no, Barbarians, for the of, the Ruined Barbarians Earth. of the Ruined Earth. I'm not familiar either. I couldn't tell you. No, it yeah, sounds like no, fun. I'm not either. We're going to have to wait till he comes yeah. back and uh, <laughs> yeah. he's willing to talk to us again. His satellite to... <laughs> to come back in alignment here i did uh i did write it down though because i'm excited to check it out <laughs> i heard someone talking about it i think at gary um someone came up and asked us about it i don't know why but they did and i, I, I know ben had heard about it i had i really had not to that point so i mean it, eddie must really love it because i know at one point he had bought like a whole supply of the books that he was like, you know, trying to get in his area on a discount and everything yeah i think some of it came up too um, I got Matt and Eddie, uh, I got to sit, sit down with them. I don't remember what night it was. Matt will probably remember. Um, we sat down in one of the large bars and uh, had a few too many <laughs> that night. And uh, that, I think that game might have come up at that point, too. I just can't really remember. We were just talking about our ignorance of Barbarians of the Ruined Earth, and I think Lou was wondering how player-facing, yeah. Yeah, was, oh. is it a player-facing game, kind of like the Black Hack? Or yeah, I was going to say it's funny. I'd never heard of that term until we started playing Black Hack and uh, Barbarians, and yeah, it's it's all player-facing rules. So it's really a trip as a GM after forty years. I'm wanting to reach for a dice, and, <laughs> and in fact, if you do average damages, you don't have to touch a dice the whole night, but you start doing it, and it gets really liberating, and it really frees you up to do more storytelling and and uh again these games lend themselves to that improv gaming style like eddie does his at cons he's just got a few bullet points pure improv wow so um but yeah it's, it's all player facing rules it basically if the monster hits you it's your fault it's not mine <laughs> i like that you know so, shouldn't have been there <laughs> yeah but no it's, it's kind of like the monster swings at you all right give me a dex test or a right, get, get out of the way fade. 
you know oh you failed then it's your fault you know <laughs> and like if they choke out a what is it you want to roll below your stats so if they roll a nat 20 oh you just got to quit on yourself you know <laughs> i like that you know no guilt walk away from the table no guilt that's right i'm like yep you did that to yourself anyway Sweet. But, um, again that's fun but it's not something i want to do all the time but it's every now and again yeah it's fun to to do that you know brush that off yeah the the barbarians reminds me a lot of uh in, in our last podcast we talked with uh, brian shutter about the uh uh neon lords of the toxic wasteland and it, it sounds a lot like the similar vein of you know kind of like yeah. what you were saying saturday morning cartoon kind of over mm -hmm. the top sort of thing his his i think's kind of a little more pg-13 uh you know uh, a little more irreverent but but the same sort of feel though yeah i like that. I that's fair genre. i i think i kicked that one as well because like i said anything post apoc I've, <laughs> I've got a, a bookshelf full of post apoc role-playing systems i've never played them probably never will but just i love anything post apoc and I'll, I'll steal little tidbits here and there you know for sure yeah yeah, I don't know about you, but I've never found a post-APOC system that has exactly the feel I want. So I'm just constantly kind of mushing stuff together to see, okay, can I get the feel I want out of these two kind of mashed together? Absolutely. I think listening to you guys when Eddie was on, y'all were talking about people that do these mashups of like, um, like psionics in fantasy. And I remember Bill was like, no, as I seem to remember, but he was talking about now if it's post-APOC and you mix some magic in, you're okay with that seem like if i remember correctly anyway but yeah it's like me i like my post apoc like thunder with magic where i know people like no no magic i want it like gamma world you know and uh -huh. i'm like you know teach their own for sure yeah so uh anything that we don't know about that you want to talk about that you're working on you got so much extra time you know <laughs> But like I said, we're, we're still doing the podcast and uh, that's, that's a lot of fun. You know, uh, basically Eddie will go, Hey, want to do a podcast this week? Okay. We go gorge on barbecue and then, you know, <laughs> just ramble about random stupid crap, you know, but, but people enjoy it. We have a lot of fun doing, I think the energy comes across. I think it's not so much the content, but um, it's just our, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Well, he yeah. has got a good uh, Abbott and Costello kind of thing going on. Like you, you really do kind of play off each other really well. It's, it's fun to listen to. Oh, we, we totally rip on each other the whole time. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But we have fun doing it. And uh, so, yeah, we, we're still doing that too. Yeah. yeah. Episode Which is 60, right. Is what you're coming up on. Yeah. Wow. I just, yeah. We'd wanted to do like a live play at 50, but we just couldn't get all the moving parts together. Um, but yeah, yeah. We're coming up on 60. We knew it. I think right at now is right at three years. So oh. I'm just, my mind's blown. You know, it's hard to believe. Good on you guys. But, it's awesome. Yeah. But thank you for asking. All right. Should we move into listener mail here? Sure. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. Wonder who it's from. My opinion is letter writer is a total wacko. All right. In our segment, Letters to the Homeowners Association, we have Three bits of mail this week. One last minute one that we're able to get in here. Uh, first one we've got, and this is kind of a, a really deep one, really. It's from John Williams. Uh, thanks again, John. Uh, you, you sent us a couple pieces in. I, I love getting mail from you, man. It's good to know you're still listening. Um, he asks, 
if you or your guests were given the chance to take the Rankin Bass Hobbit movie and extend it from 78 minutes, how long would you make it and what would you add or change to it? Now, I don't know if he's kind of kind of razzing us a little bit because of our uh, frequent two hour episodes or not, but uh, <laughs> but what would we do to that? What do you, let's go around the table here. Rankin Bass. That's my, actually my favorite version of The Hobbit still. Well, we can't start with Bill because we don't have 12 hours. No, uh, Bill, uh, you <laughs> it seemed like you had some uh, some deep thoughts there. Yeah, you're, you're muted, you're Bill. Muted. That's maybe the perfect compromise is we let you talk for 12 hours, but we don't record it. <laughs> yeah, that will probably be it. Why don't you start us off, Edwin, real quick? Nope, I'm not going to do it. You're not going to do it. Uh, I will say it here. I, I'll, I'll throw in. Um you know, the, the, the one thing uh, that I would like to see more from the Hobbit movie is uh, I, I feel like they don't do enough justice to the journey uh, to Mordor. I think there's a lot of little pieces there that could have been added that weren't uh, that I'd love to see in them animate a rotoscope or both. <laughs> my, my main memory. So it's not a movie I've actually seen. In fact, it's possible. Well, I, I have, I've seen parts of it. I don't think I've ever seen all of it. And my memory, though, is that is of being at a convention boy and it might have been like i feel like it's something like seven nations or something it's an upstate new york uh convention so this would have been this would have been in the late 80s sometime and it was just playing on a little you know a little box tv uh you know back when they were sort of squares and i was just blown away because i saw it and you know i caught my eye i watched it for whatever 10 minutes and i was like i think that's the hobbit and up until then, I had had no idea that there even was a movie version of The Hobbit. Like it, it was, it's, it is a book. It was a book. It will always be a book. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it was like, oh wow! And so I remember that being pretty, uh, pretty neat. Um, but I don't, as I say, I'm not sure I've ever actually watched the uh, the full thing. Uh, I have some some visuals of it, but so yeah, that's why I can't. I can't say what I would do differently. You know, it's. Uh, I don't really know what they did. And I'm just realizing that uh, what I was talking about wasn't The Hobbit. I, I was talking about their, uh, the Lord of the Rings. Because uh, they they're did. going to Mordor. Yeah, that's yeah. different. So, uh, you know, I, I'm so now where, suddenly where shocked that I don't know way. that I've actually seen The Hobbit uh, of Rankin and Bass. I, I just remember the one, the, oh, man, what's the guy, the uh, Fritz the Cat guy. Uh, oh, man. Ralph yeah, Bakshi. Yeah, yeah that, uh, that would be Lord of the uh, But both you guys are going to have to turn in your geek credit cards any minute. Yeah, yeah. Tear it in half. So, I'm done. I'll, I'll How many it. times do I have to read it to get my credit card back? Because I, <laughs> I, think, I think I've done that. <laughs> um, I, I don't, I mean, I think to me, it's one of the most perfect Lord of the Rings movies ever made, is the original Rankin Bass movie. It's, it's brilliant. It's, it moves along. Um, it tells the story of The Hobbit. If you've read the book, you know, how often have we all complained that, oh, this is nothing like the book, right? We, mm -hmm. Whenever there's a cinematic version of something. They captured the Hobbit book. I mean, just, I, I don't, it, that movie could be twice as long. It'd still be absolutely brilliant. And and um, it's just whatever they, you know, however they, they put that movie together, they struck gold. To me, again, you know, I, I don't want to speak for everyone, but there's, I know there's a lot of people, whenever this comes up online, people just all chime in that just, you know, it's it's their favorite Tolkien movie that was ever made. And 
uh, it's I'm not sliding anybody out any of the other movies or anything like that. I, I don't really want to do that, but um, you know, I I, I, I would love to have seen um, them do all the have them do all the movies. I, I think in that vein, you know, I know they did um, they did Return of the King. You know, years later, years and years later, and that's so you what got I'm kind of thinking of. Yeah, it's you've got this kind of picture in my the, mind that scene of, of Gollum biting the guy's finger off because I was like maybe yeah I don't know I was probably like seven or something when I saw that I'm like, yeah what? so that would be, what did I just see would, yeah that would be Return of the King they did it in the same sort of format so if you remember the where there's a whip there's a way song um, that was Return of the King which is yeah. is done in the same exact style as the original Hobbit movie but even just the voice acting that went on in the Hobbit movie is just absolutely brilliant it's just uh, you you hear the beginning of that movie that the narrator start start off and you're you're sucked in you're just you're pulled in and you're glued to this this movie and I'll, I, if anybody needs a DVD I have got about seven of them downstairs I got every version <laughs> they've ever made I got the records I got all of it so it's awesome um, that's how much of a geek I am over it uh, so we'll I, uh, I, we'll watch it at North Texas we'll get I'll bring it I'll bring it and, uh, put it up yeah, well, we'll, let's do it yeah absolutely we'll have me me yes nice yeah nice. yeah let's so let me, let me ask you, wasn't that Orson Bean that did the voice of Gandalf? I believe that? it was. I should know. Yeah. The, I, I'm terrible with names, so. I, he had a rich. He voice. says that oh, Bilbo Baggins was voiced by Orson Beans. Yeah, oh, that's it. Bad. Okay. Actor John Huston is the voice John of Houston. Gandalf. John Huston and Gandalf. And he yeah. Also, yeah, he also did the, I think he did the narration for it also. I think he did double duty on that. Correct. Um, so, uh but it's uh, I, I I can't it. It's if you've never seen it, uh, fandom, D and D fandom, you really need to fi- find it. It's easy to find, and it's although I don't think you can stream it anywhere unless you pay for it, maybe. But the DVDs are readily available. I mean, they're they're everywhere. You can get them super cheap. They just re released it. A, they did a new release of it just I don't know maybe ten years ago, something like that too on DVD. So it's it's easy to find. It's cheap. Um, but it, uh, I can't watch it on, uh, on VHS. I don't want to watch it at all. <laughs> well, you, I'll, I'll send you a VHS copy cause I got that too. <laughs> I used to own it on VHS. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that was my original. Uh, but, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's one of the best, uh, let's, you know, we always have those, those Facebook arguments. What's the best D and D movie ever made, you know, and I got to chime in. I just write the animated version of the Hobbit because it's just, it is, but, uh, it's it's fantastic. I wouldn't change anything on it. I, I just really wouldn't. I wish, like I said, I lament the fact that they didn't do the whole, did the Hobbit and then did all three of the Lord of the Rings books um, the same way. They did Return of the King. I mean, yeah. it's oddly enough though. You can watch. You can do it. You can watch the Hobbit, the 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 animated version of the Hobbit. And then you can watch Bakshi's Lord of the Rings. That movie pretty much is the Fellowship. I can't remember where it actually ends up. But you can actually watch that one and then drop in Return of the King animated version. And you pretty much got the full sweep um, and wildly different animation styles. But um, uh, it does work. It works. And uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, I, I love Peter Jackson's movies to a certain degree. I think The Hobbit was a disaster. I think they tried to do way, 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 way too much. They took a, literally, you know, we want to call it The Hobbit a children's book and turned it into this nine hour, and that's not even a director's cut, you know, episodic adventure that just went off, totally off the rails and and lost its lost its way. The movie's not even really, I mean, it's nine hours. The Hobbit's not even the main freaking character in it, which is terrible, right? I mean, 
wasn't that parts of the Silmarillion were? Oh, they added it. They 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 jumped back and forth. They did they did so much Lord of the Rings foreshadowing and prep in that in the, in those movies, and it's cool. I mean, I, I I watch as much Lord of the Rings as you put in front of me. Honestly, I I, I absolutely would enjoy it uh, in any shape. But th- that wasn't that wasn't the time or place for it. You know, again, they just uh, it detracted so much from the, just the core story that 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 book tells. Um, that by the no, time you get to the end, Hobbit you totally is lost a nice, tight, I mean, The Hobbit's a nice, tight book. Yeah. Well, uh, and again, I'm not knocking the uh, the Lord of the Rings, but it's no one's no. going to say that's a nice, tight book. Like, <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, no. no, you're not. But I mean, look at it this way: they took right, they took uh, Peter Jackson took the Lord of the Rings, three volume Lord of the Rings set, made three movies. Then he took The Hobbit, which is what a 200 page book. In turn, three movies. Three movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there's a disconnect there. So that's that's my stance on it. Um, I like them both. I will watch them both. Although it's it it just it is kind of painful to watch the Jackson version. It's just so long. Yeah, I think making three movies out of it was probably more of a cash grab sure. on, on the face sure. of it. You know. Thanks, John. Behind everything you've said, yeah. Um, Got to got to ask this question though because I know it's something that you know there's some contention about the uh, the ring wraiths that are rotoscoped. There's there's people out there that are like that's terrible animation. That's horrible. What do you guys think about them? In in the Lord of the Rings movie, uh, I believe the- these are in the yeah in the Lord of the Rings. I think they're in the Return of the King. It's it, it's in the Bashki one. Um, the Bakshi one. So yeah. Bakshi did. Bakshi only did the Lord of the Rings one. The, okay. the Return of the King was Rankin Bass did that one. Okay. Uh, it, it goes right back to the original Hobbit animation style. So there's the, the, the scene Bakshi that I'm stuff. remembering is is it's like the the ring rates on black horses and it, it's like a blackened out knight, you know, armor so riding they up took, and they're coming yeah. towards the camera. So I think what they did with the Bakshi version they took live action and they whatever they do to it. Yeah, they call it rotoscoping. Where they, they sell yeah. by sell, cut out the, and basically yeah. kind of animate over it or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's 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 parts of it that are, to me are a little bit difficult to watch, uh, just because you're just like, where are they going? Because some of the animation that's actually pretty cool, mm-hmm. especially when you take in context when the, when those were made, um, or, or the Bakshi version was made. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if you watch Wizards, you're gonna watch it's the same, same thing, thing, right? So it's it's the same kind of thing. Yeah, I actually kind of like that effect for those. It does give it to me, anyhow, uh, that otherworldly, you know, feeling when you see it. Like, well, sure, yeah. He was, trying, he was trying to capture something different, something you know, scary and terrible, and mm-hmm. and uh, it, it, hey, it's artistic license, right? And uh, <laughs> we remember it for sure. All right, second letter ups from Hector G. Uh, thank you all for giving us such a show packed full of old school goodness. I love the debates you guys have been getting into and some of the cool questions that come across your letters segment. And I thought I could be part of that. Yes, you can. And all you other listeners can too. All you got to do is email thisoldungeon at gmail.com. That's T-H-I-S-O-L-D-U-N-G-E-O-N at gmail.com. Thisoldungeon. Again, we, we say it often. One D in that, one D in that. All right. Uh, so uh, he says, so here it is, dungeon crew and guests. What are your thoughts on the pros and cons of variable weapon damage and class as race and vice versa? 
Secretly, I'm seeing if I can get you all to argue, pitting the two younger pups against the graying alpha wolf. Don't let them talk you down, Bill. Us OG gamers have to stand our ground. Until the next game session, keep the dungeon ready for adventures. Hector. Pretty sure he just called me old as dirt without saying. But but you got the alpha wolf, man. (laughs) I like that. I got to give Hector some 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 uh, some bonus for you know putting me in the young camp. I don't know. I'm not sure where he's drawing lines or how he's drawing them. But (laughs) it's obviously not a visual podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) So, uh, I, I I assume what he actually means. I assume what he means by variable weapon damage, because we got to agree on terms first, yeah. is whether everything does a D6 or whether some things do a D8 or a D4, as opposed to asking about, like, in 5e, where you do average damage, which, like, uh-huh. in, in my mind, we all play, everything's variable weapon, but I assume he's just talking about the D6 for all weapons versus the, the different dice for different weapons. I, I think that's what he's, getting, I'm pretty sure that's probably what he's getting at, is the is the you know the OG everything yeah right versus, exactly versus yeah. even Wolf Cook right that was non-variable also wasn't it is all DC and AD and D had that too really oh yeah they had the I was talking about the size of the creature like against the giant this would do less damage oh you think he's so digging in that another deep. thing too yeah huh? oh yeah, wow. no, I forgot oh, about that but right right the long sword <laughs> does more damage against a large creature than against a medium creature yeah. whereas a a yeah. mace does less Variable or something damage by size yep. Oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. forgot about that. Yep. Now, when I was a kid, Opa. I always read that backwards. I always thought it was, oh, if you're a large creature, your mace does this damage. If you're a small uh, creature, thinking about like halflings versus... Yeah, because that would have actually yeah. made sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I will say, we, we never yeah. used the variable weapon damage. We we no. did use... We did. We did. Well, we, did. we uh we definitely, if you had the longsword and you remembered about it when you went up against that large creature, you definitely tried to use it. But you, you always wanted to use it if you, if you had the, had the weapons yeah. that got worse. And anything you could do to get to that roll in that D12 for damage, you did it. Exactly. Um, yeah. I, I, that D12 with all its sharp angles on it because it's never been rolled. Yeah. Damn I, die. I, I can say, you know, we, we started playing with the home set um, originally. So, um, but we picked up a player's handbook virtually right away. I think I bought my first home set in 77. Player's handbook came out at the same time. Uh, or Monster Manual came out first, and then the player's handbook. And um, we, we went right to variable weapon damage just as soon as we were able to. We knew it was a thing. So, um, and to this to this day, I'm, I'm a variable weapon damage guy. Uh, we did our retro clone of the BX RPG, and everything in there is variable weapon damage. So, yeah, we cloned BX, but it's all, it's all variable. Um, it just adds an extra dimension fun to the game. I, I, I don't, I don't think you need to be, uh, you know, vanilla and, and, and old school don't have to go together. I don't, I don't think, um, you know, there are reasons for some things too. I remember the availability to get your hands on polyhedral dice back in 1975 was virtually nil. Right. Yeah. So when you're writing a game system, you're pretty much writing a game system for D six. So I, I think when, polyhedral dice became a thing and became a readily available commercially that obviously changed, changed everything, which, which is kind of weird to think that's probably the genesis of variable weapon damage was, Oh wait, we have all these different kinds of dice we can use. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be interesting to see how the, the Zochi dice that Goodman games has kind of made mainstream, how that'll go on to affect game design coming up here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think he's gonna get much of an argument out of out of uh, between us on this stuff. I mean, I I'm 
I'm happy. I'm always happy to play a simple light game. Um, but I feel like if you're going to, I mean, I guess for me, the there's, there's games where I want to spend time making characters and there's games where I don't. And if I don't want to spend time making characters, then I'm perfectly happy for all weapons to do the same damage. And I'll, I'll describe my character with whatever weapon it has. Cause that's cool, but I don't have to think about it. I don't have to balance. Oh, do I have a high strength? Do I have money to spend on it? Do I, you know, am I want am I think I'm going to be going up against a bunch of skeletons versus a bunch of oozes? Like, do I need a, this or, and, you know, and, and so that, that can be super fun. Cause right. You just, you just take your character, boom, you ready to roll and you rock on. But most of the time, I guess I like uh, I play a, a game with a little more um, investment, I guess, in the individual character. And for those, I, I, I want to be able to do some tactical decision making about character creation. Matt, what do you think? That, you know, so that balance like this one does more damage, but it's more expensive or it's heavier or it whatever it is. Um, like I said, when, when we were kids, uh, even then we were kind of all about, you know, uh, keep it simple. Um, and so we actually didn't do uh, variable uh, weapon damage. I, but, I just keep looking just back. Just make sure we're all on the same page. Because Edwin, you're talking about variable as in every different weapon dice, has its Different own die guide. size for, for different yeah. weapons. Like, yeah. like a sword does different than a dagger. Matt, is that what you're talking about? Or are you talking about the against different size opponents? Oh, um, now basically like a longsword did a die. I don't care what you're swinging at. Dagger does a die for, I don't oh, care yeah. what you're swinging at. That's so the weapons yeah, did so different damage, we, but you didn't stagger it for large, medium and small creatures and all that. Yeah. All that, that aspect of it. Cause like I said, we started with advanced. And so, yeah, no, and I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm, I'm more than that. Yeah. I don't, I'm not, as I say, I don't need to go crazy with it. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely just as happy for my weapon to always do D eight. But I do want that long sword. In general, I want the long sword to do more than the dagger. Oh yeah, no, I, I agree. And and going back to uh, something that some people might not like about uh, uh, Evans's barbarians is that every class has a set damage die. I've seen someone didn't like that. Like if you're playing the barbarian, if you pick up a paperweight and throw it at someone's head, or you smash with a battle axe, you're doing a die. Mm. You you get a paper, give them a wicked paper cut. It's a die. <laughs> I think that's kind of cool. I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so some people like it some people don't you know ideas you're just such brutal as a barbarian everything does a die in your hands you know um so anyway yeah well that, that solves my complaint about the non-variable being all d6s is that the warrior gets shafted you know i mean their, their great thing is they're a master of different weapons and you know now they're just doing as much damage as the wizard when they hit yeah yeah well oh, there's yeah. a certain amount of, that, that I, I agree there's a certain amount of game mechanics that's going there too right so I mean, you have to let's switch it over to not just the, the characters, the monsters. Right. So, I mean, if every every cabal does the same damage as an ogre, I mean, what the hell? Right. So <laughs> it, it, it gives you the ability to do things with smaller, smaller monsters that don't wipe out a party necessarily every time. You know, you can have more encounters where damage, average damage meted out is going to be significantly less than, you know, let's say a tougher creature and going up against orcs or hobgoblins, that kind of thing. So, you know, to me, there's there's mechanical reasons that you need variable weapon damage also all right now the second point was about uh races class race yeah so i'm i'm a huge racist class fan um we wouldn't have done again the bxrpg if, if we didn't think that was a, a, a great game component or great game mechanic um i really i really do like it i don't 
think it's necessarily a one-off be-all though. I love AD&D. I love first edition AD&D also. And I wouldn't think of just saying, you know, racist class in, in AD&D. So I absolutely love it, but it's got to fit the game system you're using. I think if you're playing, a, a, if you want that feel of the, the basic expert time frame, Beck me, basic expert homes, racist class is fantastic. I don't think necessarily you, you have to do it in every game system. I think most modern game systems have certainly got away from that. Um, and I think that's okay. I mean, you're just, you're, you're giving people the opportunity to play different things and give them a uh, license to create their own character, uh, and give them a little bit more, uh, diversity or uniqueness to their character. So I'm, I'm good with not using it. It doesn't, I don't, I don't think it, I think it, again, I don't, I don't think it has to be a, a one-all thing where either you only will play racist class or you'll only play not, you know, class is everything kind of thing. Um, I think it needs to fit the game style you're looking for. If you're if you want to play that kind of BX game system, it works. It works. You want to play that kind of bullshit with that? I'm sorry. <laughs> here we go. I'm just trying to give Hector what he's looking for here. <laughs> but I'm I, I'm a fan of it. I do. I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to say I'm not. I really do enjoy Racist Class. I think it's. I think it's. It's great. It's some. It's. It, it's a great simplification, but still adds enough. Uh, uh, variety especially if you have enough enough different classes and races going around um to make your game work so i i think again if it, whatever game style you're looking for it, it absolutely works i'm not gonna be one of those people who say race you know if you're in a racist class oh that can't you can't possibly have fun playing that that's ridiculous we had fun playing that for years that's my two cents i am absolutely unable to get even remotely worked up about this question i'm sorry Hector. <laughs> you I, I don't care uh if it's yeah if it's fun it's fun and and it is fun and uh like i think part of you know bill your your point of if there are enough uh races uh well then you've got your choice and if there's not then you're playing a game that has less choice and sometimes that's fun too um, but yeah, I just, I just can't get excited about it. <laughs> I mean, I like them both and they're all good. What you thinking, Matt? Uh, well, as I talked about, uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics, they have races class and, uh, Gary Khan, I got to play, uh, an elf and a couple of dwarves and had a ton of fun, was highly effective. They're just, they're, they're so no, no. Um, I, I, I like classes race. If it's if it's implemented well, which is basically echoing what Bill said. Yeah, my the only think. thing I can add to the conversation is like when I first got into gaming, uh, I was really big on class and race being separate and just marveled at a friend of mine that was all about original Dungeons and Dragons. Like, oh, man, that's, you know, but don't you want to mix it up? And and then throughout my youth, seeing people play that there's a lot of mini maxing going on with combining certain races with certain classes to get the best advantage. And I think that spoiled me on it for a while. So now, now I'm kind of more into the just races class, keep it simple. Um, but for no good reason. I mean, you know, as an adult playing with people that can be mature about it, I'm sure that, you know, I'd have just as much fun with, you know, the split system versus the combined. So. I wanted to add one thing in that vein, though, was talking about we didn't use variable weapon damage, but uh, we also didn't use speed factors mm -hmm. back in the day. And I wish we had because speed factors actually uh, older and wiser. I think they make sense. I wish we'd used them. But anyway, we, uh, what do you think, Bill? You're muted, Bill. 
We, we tried using it for a while and uh, we, we got away from it. Oh, well. Yeah, it was it, like, I think we, we, we did it where when you set up your character and you had your initial weapons or whatever, we figured it into the, the Thaco or whatever formula, but then you'd pick up something new and it, by the end of the campaign, everybody was just running with, you know, without it. Yeah. Sometimes we'd use it when it was a, uh, like a tie on initiative. We'd be like, okay, who goes mm-hmm. first here? And then we'd always do things with like setting the spears and, and, and the pull arms and stuff against the charge. But uh, yeah, you're right. It does make sense. And it does make a whole different, you know, um, tactical ball there when it comes to combat. Yeah. Yes. I, I think we've done, we done enough to this, this topic. All right. <laughs> Better luck next time, Hector. That's right. All right. Our final letter comes from Grimfang. He says, I've been listening to the podcast since Thomas and Briggy were on. Hope they're doing well. Uh, and I can't remember if I already said this or not, but but Thomas is getting much better. Uh, in fact, he's rejoined our uh, Sunday night gaming group just in time for us to go on hi- hiatus. Uh, but uh, I've been playing with him again, and he's he's in better spirits, and, and things are looking up. So, uh, you know, maybe we'll have them back on if they're once they're interested and ready. So uh, uh, thanks for the well-wishing there. Um, goes on to say, it's been great listening to the group discussions and all the guests you've had. I have recently come across a PDF book about a lesser-known artist whose work you might have seen in White Dwarf Magazine's Fiend Factory. Her name is Polly Wilson. It made me curious to hear about everyone's favorite artists. Keep up the good work. May your dice roll true, Grimfang. All right, favorite artists, and particularly, uh, any of you guys ever heard of this uh, this uh, Polly uh, Wilson, I'm familiar with her work? I had not. I had to look her up. Yeah, I hadn't either. Looks nope, like so I'm I'll, I'll I'll jump in. I think. Uh, I mean, we've the beautiful thing about our our hobby is we just have a wealth of illustrators to look back upon and say how they you know how they impacted our image of a game or our evocativeness in a in a in a, in a specific game. And I mean, through D and D, you have obviously lots of of variations of that from early on to later on. I mean. The, the earliest editions of the game, I and mean, they literally went, uh, you know, proud the high schoolers, high schools, and found anyone who could write, you know, draw something. <laughs> and, you know, you got some pretty crappy art in some of those books, that some of it's kind of cool. Um, and then you get, you know, you, you had the, the next range come in, um, which was at late 70s. And then you get into the mid to late 80s when the Parkinson and Eastleys mm-hmm. and Elmore's come into the game. Um, you know, after that, I, I'm going to start losing name recognition. But I, I think my favorites are the, the generation before that. The the Willingham uh, color covers. I, I love his work. Um, I think uh, for black and white, for me, Tim Truman is uh, he captured the game just in a, in a way I just absolutely love. Um, and, you know, Trampier, just, you know, my God. Right. I mean, it's just. Uh, uh, and even Sutherland, right? I mean, Sutherland, you got the image of the monster manual. I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm dialed into that because I think that's where my, um, you know, that that's where I learned the game and, and saw the game and, and kind of watched the evolution of, of art through TSR as they spent more and more money and found more artists. Um, but in all that said, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, I love Tom Wham art in those early <laughs> D&D products. It's just, to me, it's just, it's again, he's, there's a certain, he captures a certain fun part of the game that uh, 
that I'll, you know, I just, I always smile when I see some of his pieces, uh, you know, he's got a, a classic one with a, the PCs kind of bust into this room and there's a mind flare standing there and he's zapping them and they're all freaking out. It's just classic D and D. So, it, and that's nothing against, you know, again, the Parkinson Easley Elmore generation. I mean, obviously they, they, they brought a whole new level of art to D and D. Uh, and even to the gaming industry as a whole, because they started doing work for, you know, fast to start doing, using them on their covers and that kind of thing. Um, but uh, it's neat to see that evolution in, in products, especially ones that the game system's been around for a long time. You can see how their, their art progressed and I'm going way off topic here, but as, as far as probably my favorites, I, I'm going to stick with them. Black and white, Tim Truman uh, to me was, is, is amazing. Uh I mean, we didn't do enough. And then Willingham uh, and, and even Rossloff too. I mean, they kind of say a little bit of the same style, but I, I love their covers. Just absolutely think they're absolutely gorgeous. Matt's going to be it for me for that. Yeah. I, uh, I definitely struggle to get away from the nostalgia part of this question. Cause I mean, there's so much current art that's just blows me away, but None of it, no matter how good it is, has the same impact as seeing one of those pictures out of the 1E DMG or, <laughs> you know, those, those pictures that we imprinted on that we know from, you know, you, you show me that picture anywhere, anytime. And I can't quite tell you the page number probably anymore, but, <laughs> you know, there was probably a time when I could have my uh, recently my it's actually been the, the Sutherland has a bunch of little uh, black and white stuff near the random treasure tables in the DMG um they're 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 cartoons not funny cartoons but you know little little bits of story and uh i've definitely been uh, uh i mean i just i gave an art order recently saying make a modern version of this this is what i want in my in the adventure that we're doing and uh i'm very excited about what came out of it from the artist like he did a just a bang up job of not not copying it at all but saying here's a black and white cartoon of some people getting in trouble. Um, and, and I don't know. Those just really speak to me. I just, they're, they're really good. Well, while but you've the, mentioned that, uh, uh, Matt, this is something you've got to look forward to. If you haven't already started getting into it, probably the number one thing I love about publishing games is being able to buy art for it. Like that yeah. is, you know, if I never made a dime off of anything I ever wrote, just being able to pay for the art to put in it, and, and be able to, you know, get those uh, commissions out and meet artists and stuff. It is so fun. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And seeing like when they take your idea and then multiply it by 10. Yeah. It's just so much fun. Yeah. What about you, Matt? I saw you nodding a lot, but. Uh... Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I agree with everything you guys say. I don't want to be redundant, but um, I know in our, in our 13th podcast, um, we did one about art that inspired us and, you know, fantasy art through the years and different artists. Uh, I know Elmore and Easley are way up there, but like Bill saying, David Trampier's artwork in AD and D as a kid, that's what grabbed yeah. me, you know, pulled me into the game was like uh, the cover of the player's handbook and uh, a miracle, the chaotic. <laughs> uh, and that's just, Oh man, it just, yeah. So evocative just grabbed you, you know? But yeah. So I'm, I'm going to be, I just want to, sorry, Lou, I'll let you get yours in real quick. I want to jump in one more quick. I got a little story from, from Gary Khan. Um, and it goes into, I definitely goes into artists. So 
at the Gary Khan auction, I picked up uh, a copy of the, the Greyhawk Folio, the World of Greyhawk Folio campaign setting. You guys, you guys remember that where they huh? they put the Greyhawk in two big maps from Darlene right in there? Yeah. That, that she drew. And she is, uh, that's where I'm bringing back to the artist. She, her art in D&D is, is somewhat, I think, uh, underrepresented. But those maps, right? Everyone remote who played D&D back in the day, we all know those maps. I mean, they're, they're, they're artwork in themselves. Um, but anyway, mm-hmm. I, I, it's not like I don't own several of these folios, <laughs> but I grabbed one there because Darlene was at the convention and I always forget to bring my, I wanted to bring my old beat up copy from when I was a kid when I first bought it and have her sign those maps. Cause I'm not a signature hound, but that's one of the things uh, because I have so much respect for her work. Um, mm-hmm. And those are iconic pieces of art. And, uh, and she's one of those artists that's still around today. You can see her at conventions. If you ever get a chance to go to North Texas or, uh, Gary Khan. I can't remember if she comes to game hall. She may or may not, I don't recall, but, uh, she's, she's super approachable. And, uh, and those maps are, are pieces of art unto themselves. And, uh, I, anyway, I, I bought this thing at the, at the, at the auction next morning, walked right over to her and said, darling, you need to sign these maps for me. And she's so <laughs> gracious. And I've known her for a long time. Uh, but, uh, I always forget cause I'm not one of those guys who remembers to bring things for guys to sign and, and that kind of thing. But, uh, I, I want to add Darlene to my list of, of those artists from the time that anything she does to me, like, like uh, Evan said, imprints imprinted that game onto me. Her work absolutely did. And she's, she's one of the originals. I mean, she's as OG as it gets for TSR. Yeah. She did what the, there was a unicorn and she had the unicorn. Was, and I, I, and unfortunately we don't have did the cover to be a video of this. Uh, this is actually the, the folio that I just, that I bought, so she she signed it away and all the maps and the, the gazetteer. But I also grabbed this this card that she did of this picture. No, it's Succubus. That yeah. one, yeah. Oh, yeah. Personalized, which is super nice. And uh, yeah. she's a wonderful lady, and her artwork's fantastic, guys. So, yeah, and, and you gotta if, if you meet her, you gotta ask her about doing those maps because uh, the process to doing that and and what it involves. Oh, it's fan just blows your mind because i always just it's assumed a great it's story painting but no it's oh it's a yeah process it, I'll, I'll let her tell it to you listeners when you meet her because it's definitely better from her lips but uh, and she'll tell she will tell she'll take the time and talk to you as long as she wants she's a wonderful person for sure so my my imprinting stage was more you know into the 80s so you know um you know easily is probably one of my favorites as far as the cover artists go i, I really like how like his paintings everything has this like organic feel to it that like everything's just kind of almost growing out of the things next to it like the way the colors kind of you know if you got somebody standing on a mountain for example you'll notice that like the the colors of the boots and stuff are very similar to the stone and there's this sort of interplay where it's everything just feels like it's one piece almost um and like all the all the covers he did for the the uh, monsters compendiums and stuff like that that's like how i envision the monsters now and then interior wise uh jim holloway's my man and i know i've said that on the program before uh i was really lucky to get this guy brian thomas uh to do some illustrations for the uh, the time lost citadel and um, i mean he's got his own thing i don't want to make him just sound like he's copying someone else's style but he very much uh has the same comedic pacing and uh situational 
<laughs> setups that Holloway did and does a lot of that like really nice sharp black and white contrast ink work that, that Holloway did. So that's my guys. Well, Holloway's like the marathon man, right? I mean, that guy's got more, more art than anybody else combined. I got bad news for you on the Easley front. They, uh, I, Gary Khan, he pretty much announced that that would most likely be the last convention that he attends. They yeah, probably luckily, I got his him. signature multiple years back at uh, yeah. their Gen Con. But man, that, yeah, good deal. I would love yeah. to see him because it, it, at North Texas, he used to like paint there on the spot right wasn't that yeah and um they're, they're hoping to drag him out of, you know to just that will be his last hurrah to come to north texas but i'm not so i'm not i don't know if he's going to make it or not so he's already kind of announced that that gary count was probably his last convention that's too bad man hmm. all right yeah I, i'm sorry as i say when we were uh we got to gary con that late and we went to the only little restaurant that was open close to the hotel we walk in and there's Elmore and Easley sitting at the table having dinner, chatting it up. It was just so cool to walk yeah. in a restaurant and there's these <laughs> legendary artists just sitting there having a beer, shooting the breeze, you know. And uh, so it's good. I think out of all those artists back then, those two guys are probably still good friends. I guess. It, it, it definitely seems so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's neat. Anyway. All right. Well, I think it's time for the main event here, guys. This dungeon. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. All right, in the this old dungeon section of tonight's broadcast, uh, we are talking about Legion of Gold, the Gamma World uh, GW1 module. Uh, Matt, you selected this one for us. I think I, I know I was excited about it. I think Bill, you, you were pretty hot on it too. Uh, Edwin, had you heard of this one before? Uh, it did not ring a bell. All right, so uh, so we get some different perspectives. Um, tell us a little bit about why you chose it, and if you don't mind, uh, give us kind of the layout of the adventure like, what's it about? What, what do you do in it? Well, you know, um, uh, uh I said, I've always loved post-apoc gaming. I think I discovered Gamma World in like 80, 82, 83. Um, did a campaign with that summer and just, oh man, everybody loved it. It's always, that kind of set the hook. I've always liked post-apoc. Um, so, you know, you can blame that on James Ward. But Gary Gygax left <laughs> his mark on the game when he wrote its first module, Legion of Gold. Uh, so that's what a 32-page gem trifold cover. Um, Luke Gygax and Paul reich am i pronouncing that yeah, correctly or right uh, yeah yeah um the third are credited as well um you know so yeah that's that's uh i had a lot of fun with that as a kid i'll say that i probably never was able to get a whole campaign because there's for this one module there's a lot of content just they packed a lot in there it's very sandboxy and hex crawly which i, I love that sort of thing um and it kind of taught people that were new to gamma world like well how should i run a campaign well here's one way you know how uh gygax did it um but anyway i'll shall i delve deeper or you know just um that, that i think that's a good start mm -hmm. a, a couple of things i i want to throw out there that, that i kind of learned about this well first off um how are we saying his name it's not richie i think it's right i said? could be right okay the third reich yeah i think okay all right but uh, one thing I didn't know about him is, uh, so he he ended up leaving 
TSR and went off to to join um oh dag on it uh EA Sports or not EA Sports but uh Electronic Arts the the software company and uh he, he did mail order monsters there and then uh left there and uh, uh formed a company called the uh, uh Toys for Bob that launched Star Control which is uh, I mean those are two pretty well-known you know older video games so that this again we keep seeing this as we talk with people and, and and look into stuff we see all these jump off points for the old rpg writers and stuff becoming video game designers and whatnot it's i guess a natural connection yeah. somehow yeah uh and then i actually uh contacted uh luke gygax about this just asked him hey do you have any interesting you know bits of trivia about it and, and you know what you know how was it that you ended up on the you know, credit list for this one because he, I mean, he's pretty young at this point. He was nine years old, <laughs> I think. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he said that, well, you know, he had uh, been watching Super Friends and there's a episode with the monkey uh, and the Wonder Twins. And during it, there's these guys that just broke through the walls and these yellow bits of armor. And he told his dad about it and uh, said, oh, you got to get power armor into the game. There's got to be something like that. And uh, so his dad did that. And then they also took turns kind of coming up with uh, naming the areas. I mean, the whole game basically takes place in Wisconsin and all the cities are, you know, it goes back to what you were saying at the beginning of the show, uh, given a, a Gamma World version of the yeah. name of the town, you know, like a, a degenerated. Uh, like there's like, like, I think the town's called Gin, like Geneva or something. I don't know. Uh -huh. Lake Geneva Gin, yep. yeah. He also said they, they took a lot of pot shots uh, just, you know, lovingly at uh, Jim Ward throughout it. So there's, if you look at it, you can find some little, you know, versions of his name and, and, and things that have to do with him. Oh, yeah. The, the, look out the main character, the main NPC that the player is going to deal with um, is named uh, Jemis Warden of Horn. And when you just move those letters around a little bit, um, you don't have to do anything. It's, it's James M. Ward period <laughs> and you know like horn see near to lake geneva is what elkhorn yeah yeah elkhorn yeah elkhorn, uh, oh yeah there's there's a million easter eggs in this thing it's fun just to read through it just to see all the easter eggs um yeah and and matt's matt's dead on this is the, the first game world module that came out for a uh, first edition game world came out in 1981 and uh it is definitely a sand crawly kind of adventure um it's it's almost like a mini campaign setup where you know, you've got multiples. It's called Legion of Gold, but it's actually only one. It it loosely binds the thing together. But there's there's three sub-adventures in here before you can even deal with Legion of Gold. Um, and one of them is actually, uh, the word count is probably larger in one of the mini-adventures and it actually is in the, in the Legion of Gold section. Uh, there's an underwater base kind of thing uh, that you get to deal with. Um, so um, it, it's... It's really cool. It, it's a great snapshot of of early TSR work, but uh, not so early that it was really rough. You know, crazy rough around the edges. This is definitely they're, they're, they've 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 got to that level where they they kind of know what they are doing and where they want to go with module design, right? So you've got a, a lot of maps in here and just a a ton of play aids for the for the game master. Um, there's some, I know we'll get to all this stuff later on, you know, I'll just kind of give you my, my brief or my, it won't be brief cause it's me. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, my overview of it is that it's, uh, uh, 
you know, there's lots of invention here for starting campaign. And you, this thing would hold up today in almost any post-apocalypse uh, game you want to play. You could you could pull this out and, uh, you know, just change your nuts and bolts a little bit and, and use this to be a, a great starter set. That was one of the things uh, I'd kind of forgotten about this style of, of game design where, you know, it's not quite a hex crawl because you're not really just wandering around, but it's almost like the uh, like a modern MMO where, oh, this guy in this village gives you this task and then you go do that task and this guy in this village gives you this other task. And they're all separate self-contained little adventures that just kind of push you from one to the other uh, until like you were saying, you get to the, the Legion of gold where you got to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting setup in a bunch of ways. Uh, I mean, the one, there are a few things that were sort of, uh, I don't know, Bill, you were saying they sort of feels like they knew what they were doing. And I, I, I got a separate, a different idea on it. Um, and not that there's anything wrong with what they did do. Um, but it didn't, it didn't actually feel to me quite, uh, like they had a, a clean goal in mind. Cause we have this sort of, one of their big things is the, the hometown, right. The, the, the keep on the borderlands. I mean, uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> we have the, the fort of, uh, of Gemma and of the Baron. And that plays zero role in any of the adventures. Um, but, and they, they sort of excuse it. They say, well, you might use this in a, in a campaign. And so we're going to give you like eight pages. It's not really that much, but a lot of pages about this keep. Um, and then they go, and then there's like a paragraph, which really, I loved it. It, it cracked me up, but it was, it's, maybe it's not even a paragraph. Um, as usual, I, uh, oh yeah, it was, it was the general instructions for the GM. It was like, you know, if you want to make this a campaign, here's the, here's the work you have to do in order to make your own campaign. We don't want to, we don't want to, you know, get in the way and um, actually sell you something that you could use. We want you to create it because that's how, that's what it should be like. And, you know, it's like, well, don't make the encounters too weak or too powerful. Thanks. Uh, you know, but, um, so, so it seemed like they were a little bit caught in the middle between on the one hand, let's give some really awesome tools for making a sandbox campaign. And on the other hand, saying, hey, just, you know, go do your thing. And, you know, if you want to play, like, here's some adventures. That's great. And if you want to expand it, well, do that. So, I, I, I mean, I loved, I loved most of the stuff in here, but I, I wouldn't say that they had a clear idea of how it should be used or how they wanted it to be used. Um, and it may just be that, um, you know, like we all do when we publish stuff is like, well, this is designed to go blah, 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 blah. But if you want to put it somewhere else, do that. Because, of course, we want to sell to everybody. Um, so I suspect some of it was was just, you know, <laughs> on the marketing well, side. But I agree with you a thousand percent. I, I, I think what I'm saying as far as knew what they were doing, it was in Mazel production, like how this thing is actually produced is more what I'm saying. Oh yeah. It, yeah, it, yeah it's, yeah. this is, this is pure Gary Gygax shotgun approach adventure style. I mean, you know, if we're, this is, this is keep on the borderlands. This is Phil Hamlet. This is uh, several of his other adventures in that vein where he's going to, he, he, he gives you kind of a, a loose setup. Right. And then he kind of is like, but wherever you go, just let them go wherever there's a kind of got to go. And there's a very loose story here. And I, and I'll get into my, points on that later is even the title legion of gold in this thing is incredible does it actually just that's, that's a the adventure, there. 
it's it's not yeah. the main focus of the thing at, at all and it, it no, and you've, you've got to say you've got to search out to actually find out they 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 tie it in basically the the the, the plot of this whole thing is is you're in this region, which is Wisconsin, but south uh, east Wisconsin, basically Lake Geneva area, all the way up and you know over to the Lake Michigan side of, toward Milwaukee. And the the hook in this is that there's these golden robots running around raiding things, but you really don't mess with them, and you don't even get pushed to mess with them until after you accomplish a bunch of other kind of things. Where then this this Baron Jim Ward says, "Okay, now you're strong enough to go to go mess with these guys." And they're over there. Well, at any time you could really go figure it out. It, it's it's loose is an understatement of how it's put together. <laughs> and you never really do it, it. You have to search out to find out what the motivation of these guys are. Um, it's basically in the appendix um, to figure out what what their purpose is. Uh, so, uh, Edwin, you're, you're dead on here. But this, it's a very scatter shot. It's loosely put together as far as. Uh, it's not a tightly plot driven adventure module. If that's what you're looking for, this ain't it. There's plenty of some other game world adventures, which are more what you want to call traditional uh, search and destroy uh, adventure modules. This one's really not it. This is definitely a shotgun approach of, we got a ton of different encounters in here. They introduce a lot of new monsters. They introduce new weapons. They spend a half a page talking about shotguns in here. Um, <laughs> just <laughs> And, and crazy Gary Gygax charts dealing with shotgun spread and that kind of thing. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, if you're looking for a cohesive story, this, this ain't it. Yeah. This is more, I think of, of an anthology that, that try to push as a thread between the, the stories. I'm going to sneak in here. Cause uh, one of the things that uh, Matt was talking about for his uh, caverns of the dead gods was the the twist that he has in there. And as I was reading the Legion of Gold part of this adventure, I was like, surely there's going to be a twist. Surely something interesting yeah. is happening. And <laughs> and there isn't. There's like there. It's it's it, like what you it's like on the cover to like you're gonna go kill some dudes in in gold armor and they're hard <laughs> to hit. And and then that's all it is. And I was like, this. I mean, I, I will like that was the least interesting part of the whole book for me you're you're, you're not the, you're, the actual legion you're not of gold you're not wrong at all. The, it's the legion of gold part is uh it, it, boy if there could be an anti-climax in an adventure this is it right the the, the uh yeah. the, the water-based adventure which i'm going to keep going back to is much more interesting much more fun. awesome it's, it, it's it's a lot of fun it's it's, it's unique um well, and even the the bug adventure, I'd pull that right into a great. fantasy game. I don't even need to do a post oh, yeah. on that I, one. I, I, I like them all. I mean, he, the Legion of Gold one, like like you're saying, I mean, it's missing missing the aha moment. It's missing the you know why are these guys doing it's, this yeah, kind of you know understructure. But the other three, and, and that one, if you fix that, I think they're all three great little. Hey, we got a night to game. Let's do this. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and I. I I, I don't want to do a, dis, a disservice as far as is what it is. You know, it is the first product for Gam World um, outside the box set, and we have to remember that the first edition box set was, you know, skimpy. Is is mm -hmm. which is why we get why you need all additional this weapon information. And all you know, that. the the first edition did it was barely a rule set. 
I mean, there wasn't anything there and there certainly was not, there wasn't even a sample really adventure in the thing. So this is kind of your first shot. And they, I think they tried to do a lot in one book, uh, maybe too much, but uh, that said, I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. It, like it, it, it interests me. I, you know, um, when I put out my, my Derelict club game, the adventure that came with it, it was just one like, lengthy you know media adventure that was just you know developed in all different levels kind of thing but looking at this i'm like man i kind of you know if i were to do that again or on the next system i go crazy and decide i want to try to publish i like this idea of just just little vignettes you know Here, here's a couple of vignettes they, they all got a little bit of a different flavor to them you know and uh i think that's a neat approach to, to giving people starting materials is give them a couple different tastes of what it could be like well, I think uh, Edwin and, and, and Bill were hitting on this. I was listening to them, and I, so I'd like to say I felt like this was meant to be at the Gamma World's equivalent of D and D's B two. Mm-hmm. Very much yeah. so. Yeah. Um, so it's you know a starting base, a sandboxy area to explore, a lot of many adventures, and one larger adventure to tie it all together. Um, uh, but it's like, yeah, like I said, we never seem to have a campaign going long enough that we got to the actual fight. The the, the golden warriors. And I, I remember like throughout this thing, you're supposed to drop like, Oh, you heard about a village a few days away that got attacked. And so you're supposed to drop rumors throughout and kind of build that dread or, or fear or whatever of the, the golden warriors. And then, yeah, invariably the campaign would go off the rails before we got to fight the golden warriors. Well, um, I, I, I think the reason for that is, just, is, is, is awesome as the, again, this, I'm a great big, it's got a nice, beautiful Willingham cover art. It, it draws oh, yeah. you in. You're like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. we get to fight these cool power armor dudes in this golden armor. This is going to be awesome. But um, once you read the whole adventure module as a, as a, as a game master, it, it the whole Legion of Gold part is severely lacking. There's it, there's nothing really that exciting about them. To Well, that's where if you put yourself uh-huh. into it. You can, you can, no, I, I know what you're going to say. You can, you can build it up. You can build some tension up, but the problem is the letdown. We've when come you get to do there, tonight. Wait, well, but I'll say with, if, if it handled right, it makes one of those like, you know, for the players, cause I don't want to give away the big aha or whatever. Well, I think, I think we can spoil things. I mean, people that oh, are listening okay. to the program, in my opinion, well, yeah. I think that they're wanting to know either I've already read it and wanting to use it yeah. or they're wanting to know if they want to yeah, use so it. We'll, um, so well, let, let's, I tell you what, let me, let me put the brakes on a minute. Let's uh, let, let's go to the beginning of the module and, and without, you know, spending a whole bunch of time, let's hit the, the sub adventures one at a time and then build the Legion of Gold talking about, you know, what's great in, in each one and what we'd like to see different in each one. So let's start with the Bugums adventure. <laughs> so for, for me personally, I thought that the Bugums one is one of the ones that I thought was a really nice, you know, softball adventure. It's not like it's not complex, but it's fun and creepy. Um you basically you get to this farm and uh, the farm's deserted. People have told you that, hey, you know, these people have been disappearing. Um, and as you're checking it out, you hear a guy screaming as he's drug off by these like termite creatures. Um, and then the rest of it's basically a, a, a rescue mission where you go into the termite mound. You got some different beetles and things living there that have some creepy, cool powers. Um, and uh, the, the one thing, the, the last thing I'll say about it, the thing that I really liked is there's a sequence where you go into this beetle's lair that's laying these eggs, and it's this massive beetle, 
and it's already dead, but it's sitting there and the players don't know that it's dead. And that to me is brilliant for a first level game to, to come into this cavern and you think something, you know, a dragon or whatever, this powerful creature's there and you're scared of it and you're going to come up with a plan to destroy it. It turns out, ah, oh, man, it just already passed away, man. You just got to worry about the eggs hatching. So, yeah, the, yeah, I, uh, no, I, I'll be super good. So the Bugum adventure basically is aliens, uh, before aliens was aliens <laughs> yep. and it's, it's really cool. It's, it's a fun little, like you said, it's, it's a bug hunt and it, it's, uh, there's some unique encounters in there and it's, uh, some cool things for the PCs to run into and it's different, you know, it's not just fighting humanoids or that kind of thing. It's, it's, a, it is a, it's a cool little sub adventure. Uh, it's got a good payoff kind of at the end, like Lou was saying, it's fun for the referee to, to play that adventure too, I think, and see what the, see what's going to happen at the end of that one. Yeah. And this is one, as I was reading it, I thought, I mean, I, this is one I could easily put into my fantasy game and, uh, and might, you know, if, if I'm desperate some night and the players happen to be somewhere a little bit off track or marshy or who knows what, um, I think the things I would change, they had a few of the, a few too many of the sort of uh, Gygax gotcha oh, yeah. stuff, um, you know, and, and, you know, I would either add, uh, clues that those are coming or i might remove them or reduce them because that that kind of like i don't know that just doesn't doesn't give me a lot of fun one thing i did like a lot um uh the the big bad evil at the end um you have a it, the way it's written you have a straight if it escapes you just have a straight 25 percent chance of catching up and finding it and i thought you know that's that's so clean. It's so nice. Like, you know, we go chasing after it. Great. Roll me a die for roll me a percentile. I don't care. Just roll me a die. <laughs> like, ah, yeah, nope. Or yeah, you, uh, you track it through the woods. And cause I, I recently had what I thought was going to be a tedious, unpleasant chase scene. And, you know, and I was just like, you know what, let's just make this one die roll and either you catch up to them or you get lost in the, in the maze and it gets away. And uh, of course it got away and that was great. But, you know, I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to roll half an hour worth of dice to, to do, to do this cool thing that could happen. Like either way is cool. Let's just, you know, flip a coin. Almost. So, yeah, I, I just think so. some of the things that we're going to battle with this, uh, as far as, is what will we do to make it better? You know, what will we do to make it better is make yeah, it exactly. fit in 2022 in our gaming, in our, our gaming world today. I mean, it is a 1981 module. Yeah. This thing is, this thing is literally 41 years old. Um, so it, it does suffer a little bit from that. Um, I think the one thing that I would definitely do, uh, and I, I like to do this, not everyone loves it. I, there, there's no player descriptions anywhere in this module to be found. Okay. Everything is the old, just, you know, text box for the GM and he has to come up with all the descriptions on his own. Uh, I think uh, any, spending a little bit of time with each of these sub adventures and putting in a little bit of uh, descriptions for the players would go a long way to, um, to uh, uh, to pick this adventure up a little bit, um, uh, the Bugum one though as a whole, it's it's a it's a it's a nice tight little adventure uh, or micro adventure kind of thing. You know, it's not a ton of encounters, but it's it's just enough. You could definitely play it in a night, and uh, it, it's uh, it's interesting. It's it's definitely interesting, and and the players don't know what they're going to walk on walk into around the next curve, which is kind of you know that's vintage game world for sure. Uh, the, I like how the, the main bad guy is like using his telepathy to try to almost like evolve the rest oh, of yeah. the insects. Yep. And I think I would almost do like an island of Dr. Moreau kind of thing there where 
Like, you know, what is the law? You know, you, you walk on your hind legs, you use your, your, you know, where he's like trying to get them to, you know, and it maybe even has like this kind of like frustration going in him that, you know, I can't get this, this damn colony to, you know, pull together. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it's, you know. Yeah. It's, it's kind of nice. It's a, a nice enough adventure that you could, you could put a whole, you could hang almost any story you wanted to off that adventure and make it, as you said, a good night's yep. gaming. Yep. It's, 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 it's got a solid premise for sure. Talking about our, our favorite bits and the things that we want to change up about the Bugums adventure. Thoughts on that? Yeah. I was going to say the, the, the Bugums is uh, kind of the iconic uh, thing out of that adventure. That's the one that I started probably how many com- campaigns with the players having to go to that Bugums nest. And to this day, I got a buddy that if I say Bugums, no, you know, he knows what I'm talking about, you know. Um, but because uh, that's the line in there, the guy hollers Bugums, no, yeah. you know. But no. Yeah, there's a guy online that compared it. It's the, he said it was the, uh, the Brie Arc. It of the is. Gamma yeah. world. Uh, and, and so um, I know that, the, again, the Errol Otis artwork with the Bugums is really evocative awesome. and really kind of creepy. I mean, it's got an aliens vibe. And then also, there's a the thing where what they implant their babies in your head or something i mean that's some uh-huh. that's got some real that creep factor the kids you're <laughs> like oh man you know uh so no i mean the whole thing you know with the bugums that's that's the one that i mean no that yeah i i can't think of anything i'd want to change myself but i'm sure i miss some brilliant things y'all said <laughs> you'll have to listen yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right move on to the next one lou yeah Sure. So the the next one is uh, basically there's I don't remember a ten or a dozen uh, basically uh, future bomb shelters that had been set up and uh, and some of them went awry in different ways and some of them are still functioning and these were set up for rich people and they were or maybe politicians and they were rich politicians probably and they were going to uh, you know use them and then they weren't and then they were and so basically it's just it's it's this one the hook on this one felt pretty weak. Um, like I wasn't, I wasn't drawn into this one. This one I would have struggled to use um, as a standalone adventure, but the, but the basic, the, it's more of a site. Like here's a bunch of, uh, uh, speaking of sites, here's, a, uh, here's, here's a bunch of, uh, of bomb shelters, you know, sort of fallout kind of stuff. And uh, you can go and explore them and they had some fun people in them, some fun encounters in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's the premise on it. Yeah. So the, the, the town's being raided by these glowing creatures and nobody's seen them up close. They just can tell in the distance they glow. And yeah, you're just tracing them back to this area where the shelters are. Yeah. I couldn't, I didn't even remember, like, were they in the shelters? I didn't think so. Yeah. Because yeah. Mm-hmm. this was the introduction of one of what, what's my favorite of the gamma world creatures, the screamers, which are basically like irradiated zombies. Oh, that's right. Okay. Okay. So like one of the 10 shelters has the thing you're looking for, but the others have stuff in it too. It's that part was, that was, that was a little weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the, the fall shelters are a little repetitive and maybe a little humdrum compared to some of the other content, but that's where is your strength as a GM, you could find a way to make it a little, kind of zhuzh it up a little bit, you know, but. I mean, you could get rid of seven of them. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was gonna say one of the big payouts uh, in this one is you find the shelter with the family in it, and then they're willing to give the players or not the players, but the players characters uh, some tech items and stuff if they'll help them right. get to somewhere. Uh, 
you know, safe, like a, a you know, distant city or whatever, but it never really like explains what it is that's got them so frazzled and how, how they need these big, strong heroes to come escort them, you know? So I think, I mean, you really got to push the screamers uh, into that. You, I, I think you, you got to make it that these, there's more screamers than what it provides in the original and that they're like trying to get into their shelter when you, when you happen upon them. And then I think it both stories kind of fuse together a little better. And it, to me, that's how I would buff yeah. it up. I mean, one of the things we've, we've skipped is that this adventure has not only these mini adventures plus the, the main adventure, uh, but it also has, I feel like, like a dozen or so just places that you could encounter with cool stuff. And they did a, such a nice job of tightly writing those to be interesting. Like it's, it's a thing and then here's the twist. It's a thing and here's yeah. the twist. And I feel like this should probably have just been one of those. And I think in my mind, I would sort of cut it down to, yeah, if you happen to go here while you're on your way somewhere else, then here's a thing you see and you can explore it or you can meet the screamers, whatever. But I, I feel like I wouldn't want to make it the part of the, the sort of expected line of the, of the party necessarily. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't find mini adventure two is like a, is an adventure unto itself. It's, it's, it fits more into a hex crawl kind of thing where it, it, it'd be much better served as just break them all up. And, you know, if, as, as these guys are moving through the wilderness, they, they stumble upon one or two of these, whatever you want to call them, you know, locations, shelters uh, or whatever, you know, bomb shelter kind of places. Oh, the, the general locations. Yeah. Instead of yeah. putting them all together in one area and have, to have them just kind of like, you know, connect the dots going through them. Uh, it's not cohesive at all. The story, there's no cohesive story to this, this little thing. It, it definitely be better served as, as into, I think almost individual or in, encounters that you could scatter throughout or just, or just, you know, that it. would be super fun. Cause as a, as a party, if you explore one of those, uh, one of those uh, shelters at like, early on and then two or three sessions later you run into another one somewhere else and you've got some expectations built up you've got a little bit of knowledge but now yes. it's different and then a couple sessions later you run into a third one that that could be a really sweet use that, of that's this. what yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think I, be, I, don't, I don't really see him as a mini adventure i see him more as is this is definitely something you want to break apart and and you piecemeal yeah, I you like know, that. The, the, it's late at night they're they're your, your party's traveling through the wilderness and they find a place to rest and you could drop one of these in and uh, have a, have a quick little mm-hmm. before they go to bed mm-hmm. encounter kind of thing. And now they know to look for them. Also, like we need to rest. Maybe there's a shelter around here. Let me roll my die and see if I find yeah. one or, or in the gamma world, let me spend at least 20 minutes exploring because that's how apparently the, uh, <laughs> the rules work. Here. Right. Cause there, there is no rhyme or reason for these to be together necessarily exactly. or there's no there's no yeah. storyline to them there's nothing it's just here go over here and look through these buildings kind of thing yep yep so then that brings us to the uh the sub aquan laboratory and and to me this is to me this is uh this is the gold in the legion of gold uh adventure module <laughs> yeah. uh you, you, you've got this you know well, we, you know ancient facility um where there's, you know, uh, strange things going on because there's just strange things going on. Uh, but it's, it, it's, it's a cool map. There's underwater stuff here, uh, or it's, it's based underwater. There's a cool vehicle that the PCs can find kind of at the end of this thing. Um, yeah. uh, it's, it's unique. Uh, got some unique monsters in here. I, I really like you're you're burying the lead. I, I am. I was going to let somebody else it's jump on this, that, but uh, 
friggin' random food yes, table, it's the which best. is just Isn't brilliant. It? So uh, there's there's in one of the one of the chambers there's a there's a Star Trekking machine right that you push a button and get some food coming out of it. But the, in Gary Gaiax fashion, you got to roll on three different charts to determine what it is, and you really never learn what it is. It's just there's a, there's a temperature how it comes out uh, from piping hot to frozen. Uh, there's a texture, what it's like, and then there's actual <laughs> color. And I'm going to tell you, not, not one of these things in here would ever be appetizing to anybody. <laughs> I randomly got a cool blue chunky soup. Yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Delicious. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's cool. There's, a, there's another chamber in here, which is basically a, it, uh, it's a seismic detection chamber. So you can find out what, if there's earthquakes going on. You know, and just the cool thing about this again is your the, the player character is trying to figure out what what they're looking at uh, is is really interesting. Uh, I think there's scuba gear in here. It, it's a neat little it's a neat little adventure. I'm not doing a good job of describing it, but uh, I think as far as playability goes, um, it works really well. It's a, it's a strong uh, a strong little exploratory thing. You know, again, how I would you know jazz it up a little bit. I think I would just, I would just kind of go room by room and put a player description in each one. Uh, and then maybe put, I think it could probably use one more creature. I, I think it's a little light on creatures. Uh, I think it could use. Diversity yeah, of I, I think it, anyhow. Yeah. It's, it's a lot yeah, of it, it could use some sort of, a, you know, a little, a little creature that's snuck in there or a big creature that's snuck in there and is up to something uh, a little out of the ordinary for the place. I mean, there's androids in it. It's cool. There's, there's, a droid in there that does something, you know, but it, it could definitely use that. Does it have the crayfish in it? I think it? you could use another creature in here. Matt, what are your thoughts? Um, the subaquatic area has great artwork by what Jeff D and Liesel, Diesel of Force, and uh, it conjures up a James Bond villain headquarters vibe. It does. Or is that just yeah. me? To mm. know. Yeah. 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 And uh, so it's, that's really like, I, like Bill said, that's the real gem of all these different little mini adventures that combine up to this module. I think that's the real standout one. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, like like y'all said, in in there like a like a medical lab or something. Yeah, you could have some experiment that went wrong in there. It's like for an extra um, encounter or something. Something that's different other than just androids with vibro daggers or whatever. Yeah, we could. This could make a cool base for your for your characters too, right? Right. Yeah. 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 There's even the one thing I'd as I say. I think if you get in the vehicle, you can even like fight some awful uh sea monsters out in lake geneva or something right yeah like or, michigan or, or Mich- like michigan you, you can die fighting some <laughs> oh, <sea> yeah. Monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i like how it's like random buttons yeah. and like one of them just like opens the canopy and drown you know it just now, isn't good i, I know that we're, we're talking about the adventure not gamma world but i'll say i love 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 gamma world but those damn charts for trying to operate chart stuff, kinda... whew, you know <laughs> yeah well, I suppose that's a fair thing. Like you might say, I'd run this, but I'd use a different system. And there's that. There is that. The one thing on this mini adventure is I, I feel like it needs more, more impetus for what the androids are doing and why they're doing it. I mean, it talks about how like there's this uprising and they kind of gain sentience and they've trapped all or not all, but a, a handful of the original scientists in like cryostasis. And that's a kind of cool thing. Uh, they, they, I guess they, they froze them because it says that, you know, there are some things that they're not programmed to do so they can always 
thaw these guys out and force them to do it, you know, things that are beyond their programming. But then, you know, why are they there still doing these experiments? Is it just part of their protocol? And, and how does that interact with seeing the players? I think there's a little bit more that, there that I'd want to kind of tool with as a game master and have in the back of my mind for their motivations and, and how they're going to interact. Yeah, I think that's kind of my point to adding, adding some strange creature in here that's gumming up the works. Or it's got the, that's what's got this thing kind of going internally. Um, I, I, there's this, it could use a fly in the ointment, I think, is how I would use this. That's about all I've got on underwater. And then the thing, and I know we've already mentioned it, but a lot of these adventures are bait and switches. Like the last adventure tells you, oh, I think this guy up this way saw those golden warriors. Go, go see if you can talk to him, you know, and you get there and, you know, no such person or nobody knows what you're talking about. You do something for them, like you go look at this base where they, they got this android from that had a golden, you know, uh, piece of armor yeah. or whatever. And uh, all, all you get to, is another, oh, well, we don't know anything about it, but go talk to them, you know, and it's, it's continuous bait and switch. So in my opinion, you've got you to gotta drop some more solid clues along the way if you really want to tie these into the final one. And another thing, you know, I, I don't know why they didn't do this, but I would think you would want to have at least a slight incursion with some of the Golden Legion before you actually get to their base. Because, like, yeah. one of the coolest thing about them is, like, part of them is a group of, like, basically mind-altered humans that have, like, a chip injected into them. And how cool would it be for you to run across this dude you talked to last town uh, as, you know, one of the Golden Legions, you're like, you know, fighting him, you knock the helmet off and, hey, that's Bob from the bar you just were at, you know, two adventures ago. And that's what I was talking about. You yeah. as a GM, unfortunately, have to add that, that they didn't think to put in there for you, but very creatively, yeah, have that thing to really bring it home to the players. Like, this is my fellow villagers and townies and they're being assimilated like the Borg, you know, or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah, it, bring, it brings us right to the Legion of Gold portion of the adventure, right? And and the the one thing that, in, in a nutshell, basically, Legion of Gold is, there's a supercomputer uh, that is in this complex and it has human brain waves. This thing's over the years become all twisted. It's got these, uh, these androids that it uses to do things. And we're not really sure what those things actually are other than to go try and capture some humans to steal their brains to power a few more of these androids uh, for the supercomputer. Um, beyond that, it really doesn't serve, it doesn't have, there's no overwhelming What's his goal? nefarious purpose to the Legion of Gold, which is what you want the Legion of Gold to have, right? We want the Legion of Gold to world domination, whatever, you know, searching for some sort of ancient technology, you know, or just subjugate everyone. We want some sort of, it, 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 it screams out the need to have a, a purpose, which it really doesn't have. Um, you know, other than it's a place for the PCs to go raid this base and wipe these guys out and hopefully not trigger a nuclear meltdown um, and blow themselves up, which is always fun in Game World. But, um, yeah. but you know, that, that's it. it. It really, you know, if, if again, if something I would do with it um, uh, in today's world, if I wanted, was running a Game World campaign, I would definitely flush the Legion of Gold out significantly more i mean i i think they need to be uh they need to be a lot more prominent than they actually than they actually are and give them some sort of purpose i'm not even sure what that purpose would be right now um but i think uh i think they have to have 
some sort of purpose again uh, to make them be a thorn in the PC side, not, not just in one adventure, but maybe for a long term. I mean, I think they'd be a great long-term villain organization, basically, uh, to steal something like that. Yeah, it'd be nice if this was an outpost uh, of them as opposed to the only yeah. group of them. Yeah. yeah. I thought it'd be interesting if it was maybe a, like a military uh, um, weapons facility. Like, like th- this was like a private company that was building this technology to sell to militaries. And somehow the computer thinks that it's doing simulations or, or proving the tech or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you get there and they're like trying to sell you it. And they're like, you know, we have, you know, 10,000 units at the ready and can have, you know. Uh, and, and here's a video, uh, a video creation of what it could do. And it turns out to be your home village, your village getting destroyed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a nice twist. That's the kind of thing. Yeah, that's that's, that's a, a good twist. twist. Like that, it, that would make it. it uh, it's exactly what it needs because it 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 is significant, severely lacking, uh, for it to be the namesake of the adventure module. Um, I think. Yeah. Yeah, for that to be the namesake, that's the the least fleshed out aspect of the whole adventure, and it's yeah. the name. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. They're not very compelling. What was your thought? So when you read it, read it as written, that part of the adventure is not very compelling, I guess is the word I would use. So you're going to have to, you need definitely need to create a purpose for the Legion of Gold beyond we're just going out there to find a few more. We need to pick up, you know, a few more humans to steal their brains. Um, well, in the way, the way, uh, the way this was written, um, <laughs> Gemma, Baron Gemma, I think would actually become your number one, your player's number one enemy. Yeah very quickly because baron gemma sets them up here's a bunch of weapons here's a microbus the microbus fails like 45 minutes into their trip <laughs> into the wasteland and i was like if my if i did that with my players like they would turn right around and head right back i mean baron gemma's dead at that point you gave us you you tried to kill us by giving us a yeah. faulty you know <laughs> and, and, like, and in gygax fashion like it's detailed out like every type of gem he has in his safe his big collection of hover vehicles and armored tanks and things. right it's like that stuff's all in their hands five minutes into the adventure yeah it's it's, yeah. it's there's the that, that's a plot hole a big one right just this he what the hell does he need the PCs for? This guy's got freaking everything under the sun already. Um, well, then he gives him this piece of crap. <laughs> right, it'll, it'll only fly at a quarter speed. But you guys picture in yeah. like the the VW bus with like a wizard yeah. painted on the side of it. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. This is the van again that I had to push over the continental divide. Yeah, <laughs> and I know I know it makes reference to when it breaks down, you won't be able to find parts to fix it. So yep, yeah, yep. It's, it's so the one thing I will definitely use from uh, from the uh, from that part of the adventure was the death moss. Yes. Oh yeah, that's good. That was Put a sleep, friggin' yeah. awesome, great new monster. Uh, yeah, great monster, and and again, it can totally be a fantasy monster. It doesn't matter, but just what a nice combination of of uh, ways of getting it. Basically, the uh, you know it puts you to sleep and then it sucks you dry. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's like just thinking about how that could play out when you have a party and either they're going to rest or you got somebody sneaking, like you got the thief scouting up ahead or the ranger or whatever. Yep. Like it's just, uh, and, and so, and it's got that, that gross factor in there in a nice way. And I don't know. I really liked it. <laughs> yeah, that was good. 
that's showing up in a home game too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It, I think the Legion of Gold part, like I said, I think it, it, it needs a lot of work. It needs uh, it's an organization that is, uh, you know, most organizations you built on a premise of they have a purpose in mind and it, that's why they're an organization. <laughs> this is an organization in search of a purpose. It really just doesn't have one. Um, yeah. And then I think the map too, it's also the weakest map out of all the maps they give us in here. Um, it is very, I hate to use this word. It's just very pedestrian. The, the underwater base has got the coolest map. And then this thing is this, the, the map for the, the Legion of gold, it looks like straight out of the sample dungeon out of the DMs guide. Literally. It looks, it just is exactly <laughs> what it is. Random, like. random creation. Um, it's, it's a very not exciting base to look at or even adventure in. So I, I think the Legion of Gold, it, it's got a premise. It just needs a lot of flushing out for the DM, um, which to me is going to lead me into the last part of this book is uh, section D in this book are treasure tables. And oh, this, yeah. again, is where the gold is at. And this is Gary at his finest. He's got two tables. Uh, they're percentile dice, zero to 100. Uh, some of them are, have got ranges, but there's probably 60 or 70 items in each of these two tables, um, everything from, you know, a bottle of antiperspirant to, um, you know, a bottle, a bottle of scotch, a metal coin, a toy. I mean, this, these two charts are absolutely must haves for your game world game. If you need the PCs, you know, they roll, they just walk around, they, they find some, you know, they're in a, they find a, you know, broken down house and you need to roll up a few things real quick on what's in it. These two charts are absolutely, uh, I'm going to steal my word again. They're gold. They're absolutely gold. They're great charts. Yeah. These, <laughs> these two charts should have been in the, the core rules. Well, you know, they had the junk table in gamma world, but that's more stuff to add even to that. Yeah. yeah. It's just, they're, they're great. And they're just, uh, they're really cool. It's already been pointed out a little bit, but the, uh, you know, they got that list of the towns on the map there also, where it gives you like just a two or three sentence summary of what the town's like. That's kind of nice, you know, for, doing the hex crawl through there and then all those spurious locations with just yeah little... there's 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 rust there's roughly 20 locations spelled out on the on the game master's map and uh, you know most of them are like just like one or two paragraph uh yeah, just a little story en- encounters story. And, and some of them are just actually really really good ideas that you can work off of yeah for sure all right so uh final final thoughts on it you know final recommendations to listeners I think my final recommendation is uh, take it apart and use the pieces. Yeah, I'm I'm going to second that. It, this this it, it this is more of an event. Uh, this is more of a game supplement to me than it is a a, a pure adventure module. Um, but it, it does that actually really really well in places. Uh, there's great pieces of adventure yeah. you can pull out of here um, uh, for your for your game world game or any post apocalyptic game. Uh, and you don't feel like you need to use the whole book. And again, there's some charts in here, which are fantastic. They're great to use. Uh, I, I think it's an amazing product again from 1981, just, just getting your hands on it and being able to read through it. You're going to have a blast doing that. If you never even want to play it, uh, you're going to enjoy it. It's well worth it. Um, I'm going to be my, uh, bill, the drive through shill is going to come on again. You can buy this on <laughs> drive through RPG. I looked it up. The book, I think is eight fifty. If you want the, uh, print on demand book. The PDFs four or five bucks, um, 
Yeah, I just bought the PDF and now I have a copy of it with my name on the cover. It's freaking (laughs) awesome. Uh, So it's it's readily available. This this module is all probably all I didn't look on eBay. I'm sure it's all over the place. Um, They're they are typically pretty well worn if you're looking for original copy. These things got a lot of use um, when they came out, but uh, it's 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 handy. Uh, it's a great supplement for any post-apocalyptic game, I think. Definitely well worth buying. You can do a lot with it. It gives you the tools uh, to just do a lot of different things. Uh, I enjoy it. I, it's a, it's a, I highly recommend picking this up. Matt, anything? No. I, I, <laughs> and I was going to say, I agree with that. Like Maybe all of its parts aren't great, but when you add it all up, it really was a, a good value, and there's a lot of good bits in there that you can – steal with both hands and, and using your post APOC game. And like Edwin said, you could use something other than Gamma World to run it. And uh, that that Bugums layer is just awesome. Mm-hmm. And the subaquatic layer yeah. and, you know, the different bits. Um, now, I was curious, now I'm not go off the track, but Bill, don't you have a, some sort of Gamma World retro clone in the world? We do. We have Gamma X coming out, which is uh, uh, first, first, first edition, second edition Gamma World retro clone. Uh, we're going to use uh, BX core rules uh, for the game mechanic. Um, uh, but you, this module, you'd be able to run this module almost exactly as written with our with the uh, Gamma X uh, RPG coming out later this year. It'll be kickstarted uh, probably later in the summer. At this point, I keep pushing it back, but we're just, well, we just we want to have it 100 percent ready before we we uh, we launch it on Kickstarter. And now we're actually floating a whole other idea of not just doing a uh, BX version of Gamma X. We're talking about doing a 5e version along right with it. So, um, yeah, it's, just, it's getting bigger and bigger the more we talk about it. Actually, I got a ton of work done on it, but uh, nothing for 5e. So that would be a that would push us back a little further. But we're gonna do. Uh, yep, yeah, we're doing Gamma X, and we're actually doing Boot Hill uh, Retro Clone Gunfighter X, and then uh, we may or may not do Frontier X. I'm not sure, which you can figure out where that's coming from. So, but uh, and the whole idea is you can mishmash all these together. So you could take your your BXRPG player character and drop them into Gamma X and not miss a beat. But yeah, thanks. Thanks for the plug, Matt. What? I know OSE just uh, kind of made more of a formal statement that they're they're also going to try to dip their toes into the post APOC uh, world here. So yeah, we, and, and so I need to beat them to the punch because, like I said, we, we've been talking about this thinking. for about, <laughs> about two years now, and we've got artwork out there, we got cover work out there. We just got to get this thing going. So yeah, you mentioned it some years ago. I've been champing at the bit uh, to play it. Yeah, I was giving you heck at the last NTRPG about come on. Yeah, we know. we actually started play testing it at the last <laughs> NTX RPG. We play tested it. I didn't get. Uh, I didn't. I was heartbroken. I'm gonna play test at Gary Con too, which I didn't mention as far as gaming because I'm trying to keep it on the lowdown a little bit because I feel like I've been I've been talking about it and it's like we're still no we're not ready to to, to launch it yet. So it's it's getting there. Fair enough. Cool. I can't wait to play it, man. All right. Now, now that we've gotten later into the evening here, it's uh, time to ambush you here, Matt, with geek credit segment. Uh-oh. Are you ready? <laughs> I think my connection's getting bad again. Okay. <laughs> That's what I was saying. I was like, oh, he's going to pop out here. It. What are the odds? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any geek credit? 
All right. So geek credit. This is the part of the show where we ask you five multiple choice questions. And if you can get three out of the five of them right, then you get to maintain your geek credit. Now, you told us going in that uh, post-apocalyptic movies was it was a real strong suit with you. And of course, you know, gaming. So I, I tried to keep my questions within that vein. And I, and I, I swear, you know, I tried to you know, I've had recent criticisms that my questions are a little intense. So I tried to try to, you know, hem it back just a little bit from what I normally would do. So the first one, I think is a softball. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Which RPG product is considered to be the first true version of Gamma World? So like kind of what, what did it come from? Uh, your, your choices are metamorphosis temp- alpha. Ah, you got it. Okay. <laughs> All right. See, folks, I'm easy. I'm easy. No, no, no. <laughs> but that's like, I mean, that's that's classic that uh, D&D was the first, what, fantasy role-playing game. Metamorphosis Alpha was the first science fiction role-playing game. And Gamma World was the first post-apocalyptic or science fantasy role-playing game, I guess. So, anyway. That is it, yeah. I was going to throw at you uh, Temple of the Frog, Expedition to Barrier Peaks, and Aftermath. Just see if I can get you a bite on one of those. Yeah. Yeah, got it. All right. All right. I'm going to move to movies then. Um, This was a little harder, but I bet you'll get this one. Um, Which of the following is Mad Max's real scripted name? So that the the name in the script is his actual full name. Mm -hmm. Is it Madison Maxim? Maxwell Gibson? Max Rock, I'm sorry, Rockatansky? Or Romax Driver? Max Rockatansky. You got it. Yeah. I never knew that. I, I, I did not know I, that. Do, do they ever actually use that? Do they use that in the movies? I, I don't remember them I, actually I, using it. In well, this. I think it probably maybe the original, like one. Okay. The Mad Max. Yeah, yeah. Before he goes off into being, just being Mad Max off in the apocalypse. But yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Bill, you want to jump in? I think you said you have I've one. got one. It's not a good one, but I've got one. Right. Hey, we'll go. All right. That. So, uh, a uh, totally horrible but great post-apocalyptic movie, uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown. <laughs> I've seen it. Rowdy, Rowdy, Piper. Right, Rowdy, Rowdy. So and, uh, actually, there are and Al Bergman. There, there are a number of movies in that franchise, believe it or not. So, wow. yes. So we're gonna. What is the total number of movies in the Frogtown franchise? I'm gonna give you multiple choice: two, wow. three. Or four. I'm gonna go with three. It is three. Wow. Oh, he got his key credit, credit right, right there. So right there. that was a total guess. I know I've watched the first one. Um, and once again, I reviewed that on the No Class podcast, the, the original uh Hell Comes a Frog Town. Do you know that uh, what what's your name? Send I hope I don't mess Sandal Bergman or whatever, who was in the oh, Conan yeah. movies as well. Oh, yeah, she's in it. You know, she's, she's in that, yeah. Yeah, she got like a an Oscar or Emmy or I mean, she's actually an awarded actress. <laughs> yeah. But the poor thing, the movie she's had to be in, you know. Uh, so yeah, there's 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 yeah. Hell Comes to Frog Town, which obviously was probably had the biggest budget of all of them. And then uh, there's Frog Town Two, is the name of the second one. And the third one, ah, I closed my window. It's Toad something. It doesn't even say <laughs> frogs, not even in the name. But there are wow. three of them technically in the franchise. And it's just, wow. um, you, Rod, you does not, it on me because now I'm going to have to check those yeah. out. I'm going to have to see them. Yeah, now. they look really, really, uh, really bad. Friday does not play any other two. So you're going to be let down just right there. 
Oh, All right, so uh, staying in this vein, which of these post-apocalyptic movies is set furthest into the future? Okay, so you know, based on the the, the film's own continuity or whatever. Okay. So, furthest into the future, uh, which is is it a boy and his dog, Road Warrior, Escape from New York, or Waterworld? I'll say Waterworld. Yeah, so Boy and His Dog is set in 2024. Mm-hmm. Road Warrior is 1979. Yeah. Escape from New York is 1997. And Waterworld supposedly is uh, 2,500. Wow. wow. So, yeah. All right. And unless anybody else has a question, I, I guess I'll finish him out with the fifth one. All right. Finish it up. Here it is. Last question. Who played in the most post-apocalyptic films? Okay, I'm going to give you four actors. Tell me which one is accredited with the most post-apocalyptic films. Mel Gibson, Charlton Heston, Kevin Costner, or Kurt Russell? That is a good one. Good work, Lou. Whew. This is like, I need to phone a friend or something. Uh, <laughs> well, you got your geek credit. So even if yeah. you mess up, no right, big Right, right. So thank goodness. Yeah, I wish you'd wait sentence for the end. Because, I mean, Charlton Heston was in Soylent Green. Uh, how many of the Apes movies? Uh, he was in, uh, uh, what's the what's the one where he's like, Hope, hold on to your panties, baby. And they really bad makeup, you know, with the mutants. Omega Man. What was that? Omega Man, yeah. God, he was in a ton. Shoot. Uh, see, hell, I'm gonna go for it. Charlton Heston. That's yeah. the correct answer. Yep. Damn. Nicely done. Nicely yeah. done. Yeah, he was in the Soylent Green, Omega Man, and two, two of the, of the eight movies. Uh, Planet of the Apes yeah. movies. Damn. Mel Gibson's only been in the, uh, as far as official post apocalyptic movies, only been in the, the Road Warrior series there. Yeah. Kevin Costner, The Postman, and uh, Waterworld. Waterworld. Mm-hmm. And then Kurt Russell, just uh, the escape movies. Yeah. So. Good job, man. Well, five for five. I, I don't know. If I, you might. Well, I think. Uh, did Did Brian get five for five in the last episode? He might have. I think he did when I had to retcon yeah. one. So. But that's that's an accomplishment, man. We very rarely, very rarely. Wow. Well, job. nice job, Matt. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. That's great. You're super geeky. <laughs> <laughs> I've earned my nerd badge for the day. Yeah. Hello, ladies. I got five out of five on this old dungeon podcast. <laughs> uh, be fighting them off with a stick. That's right. You know it. All right. Well, this is uh this has been a nice long episode. I had a lot of fun talking with you guys about all this uh gaming stuff. Um, before we head out, uh, Matt, hit us with the uh, dates for the long con again and uh, tell us what we need to be looking out for as far as, uh, you know, the, the caverns of the dead gods, caverns dead of, God, caverns of the dead God uh, should be hopefully coming soon from long con press. Uh, we'll be doing a Kickstarter and I'll get you all those dates and you can let everybody know then uh this year's long con is going to be november 11th through the 13th in longview texas we'd love to see you look for us on tabletop events or on our website or we're on facebook uh please be sure to twitch on april 26th at uh eight uh eastern seven central for our no class twitch and then there's the no class podcast on soundcloud and itunes tune in for a lot of mischief and nonsense beautiful 
Thank you for it's having me on, place. guys. I appreciate it. It's been a lot awesome. of fun. Great having you. This is great. All right, listeners. Uh, Lou Alou signing out. Uh, have a good week of gaming or a good month of gaming, depending on how long it is till we talk to you next. Good gaming, everybody. Have a good one, all. Keep it fun. You've been listening to This Old Dungeon, copyright 2022. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are, well, hey, we're just a bunch of bullshitters, so you do the math. If you have any requests or any correspondence you'd like to send, send it to thisolddungeon at gmail.com. Have a wonderful day.